Hello, friends. Welcome back to Waterway Desho. Happy holidays, by the way. Merry Quis- Christmas. Christmas, I almost said. I almost uh, wish you the, the Elmer Fudd version of the holiday. But Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Kwanzaa. Merry Mega Christmas. All of the above. Uh, we hope that everyone listening is having a safe and fun and delightful holiday times, our favorite time of the year, at least my favorite time of the year around these parts. And uh, I am the Subtle Doctor, and joining me, as always, is the uh, podcast uh, host with the strongest uh, chicken cooking game, I think, uh, around, it is the guiltiest gear, the chromiest dome, top Mancunian, Shadon. Can I get a refund on this decade? This decade has been dog shit, hasn't it? The moment 2022, sorry, 2020 rather, like, you know, appeared on our calendars for the first time. At that point, it just all went horribly downhill. I mean, okay, it wasn't particularly good to begin with anyway. Um, Maybe we should get a refund on this century. But yeah, I think we're going to consign 2022 at least as a a news item to the dustbin of of shittiness. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, it's been a year. It's I look. Been, you uh, sounded so pained saying that. It's you, been a fun ride <laughs> of sorts. If I were a band um, and I had a rev- and you did a review where it's, you said that was a performance in the way that you just mm-hmm. said that, I would disband. We would split. Mm-hmm. That's it. We're done. I mean, oh god. <laughs> so we've been doing these uh, year-end pods for since we started and i mean this is certainly not like the lowest point um I was for unlocked. me like there yeah i was locked inside my house <laughs> yeah right there is there have been some sort of uh, some worse kind of like year end situations uh this year has been okay uh for me but i know that uh it's been uh as you said rubbish for a lot of people and like in general, in terms of like the way the world is headed. I mean, clearly, I mean, that's just always going to be bad. So thanks, Pusin. Whatever. The fuck. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. You know, I, I did not have that written down on my big sheet of things, uh, that happened in 2022. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, that was, uh, that sort of the the long shadow casts over the the whole year um affecting you know so many people and and down to like daily life and you know we just wish well of course uh you know the people of Ukraine mm-hmm. and you know fuck Putin and all of that business yeah I mean, for me personally, it's actually been a pretty good year, all told. I'm, I'm going to be starting a new job uh, on January the 3rd, and I will be earning 25% more money per annum than I was at the start of this year. So that's certainly a positive for me, but I'm not going to dwell on that too much other than just, hey, I'm doing all right, and it sucks for so many other people, it's not even fucking funny. I just wish... I, m- I missed 
the years when they were relatively quiet news wise. <laughs> yeah. Which oh, might man. be, it might, I, you it, know... yeah, it might be me just being ignorant to shit that was in like you know previous years of my life prior to like well 2016 specifically. That's when it seemed to really just dump all over everything. Um, so I'm not I always pretend... go back to uh, I always go back to 2014 mm. as the time when the the shit that sort of we could uh kind of blissfully ignore was uncorked all over us yeah and uh and now you know thanks to people being uh so ready and willing to talk about what they what they think no matter how abhorrent and uh the pr- proliferation of uh good cameras and tech and everything like you, you know there's just no there's no shortage of uh horrible shit that you could be lapping up uh if you're online Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so i'll just say it now like if to you the listener um wherever you may be in the world right now whatever might be happening so i hope you're doing all right like i'm not worried about myself mm-hmm. things are okay but I, I fucking hate the fact that it's shit for so many other people so i hope that you personally are doing okay and if things are not as good as they could be or indeed outright bad i hope they get better in 2023 fingers crossed for you me too yeah and i mean definitely can't complain very much either like my workplace like we have uh some people have decided to leave over the course of the last 12 months like uh two or three people and i say key positions i mean every position is a key position because we're very understaffed and we're having a hard time in recruitment for a lot of different reasons kind of replacing that so so my job's quite secure, but I'm I'm feeling uh a little uh stretched thin. <laughs> so uh it'd be nice if in 2023 uh we could get some I I could get some relief <laughs> in that department. But I know I mean again, compared to uh compared to a lot of people, that's pretty small potatoes. But, you know what made me laugh then um, when you were describing like your work situation with people being understaffed and people leaving? That's my work at the moment, except I'm the one who's leaving. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You're moving on to pastures greener and uh, no one can blame you. Yep. uh, You know, so uh, we, we don't want to make the, the entire pod too, uh, too much of a downer. Uh, But that was sort of our annual commiserations on God. Uh, The world sure does suck some of the time. And, uh, but what, but what we want to do here on this episode is actually talk about, um, the, I guess really just like the media that we have, uh, looked at and consumed over the year. You know, we've, we've, it's been another 12 months and we've watched a lot, played a lot, read a lot, listened to a lot. Uh, and we want to talk about like the, definitely the highs, maybe the lows, um, in terms of of that and just kind of have some fun and we want to yeah just like end the year of podcasting on uh on kind of a joyful note on a playful note having fun and and we hope it will like translate to you guys cuz as podcasters that's really that's what we can do for you <laughs> is hopefully be entertaining uh have some fun make you laugh make you smile uh, and we hope we're able to do that by uh, taking a look back 
through 2022 and examining uh all the things that we have uh shoved into our into our brains yeah uh so shadon Oh, I'm sorry. You were going to say something. Go ahead. All, all I will say is that I am going to in chat in absolute load of shit, and it's going to be great. It's just going to be banter all the way down. Excellent, excellent. Well, why don't you get us kicked off then? Like, what is your? What's the first thing you want to talk about? Oh boy, um, 2022 media. <laughs> I suppose I could get the big looming thing out of the way. Something I've discussed a number of times over the course of podcasts and general like conversation on social media and discord over the past year. Um, and then move on very Fortnite. quickly. For no, yes, absolutely. I, I finally, finally unlocked the planking emo. I'm so happy. Yes. So, so happy. Oh God, you could be part of our, um, checks lexicon clan. Is that a thing in Fortnite? This is, this is a uh, Starcraft language that I'm going back. To. I mean, look, if you want to play um, Colin McLeod from Highlander, you're probably covered in Fortnite. <laughs> and I don't know, I'll play Optimus Prime, but it's the Beast Wars version or some shit like that. I mean, it's. Look, I'm not going to talk about Fortnite. What I am actually going to talk about instead uh, is, of course, Final Fantasy XIV. And I'm going to keep this quite brief, actually, because I could devote probably two whole full fat podcasts to talking about it. I have already. You don't talked. have to keep it brief. No, I. I, I got time. I, I insist because there's plenty other that we want, other things we want to cover as well. And I've already talked about it a lot anyway. But I mean, it'll probably come as no surprise to people who follow me that this is the best thing I've played all year. Um, it's one of those things that's going to stick with me for quite a while afterwards. If you remember back in the days when we streamed live, you'll recall that I have a, a cornucopia of crap. Uh, that I keep in bookshelves behind my computer, uh, sorry, behind my sofa, opposite my PC in my living room, uh, where I keep often memorabilia of things that I am quite fond of. Uh, and I want to get something Final Fantasy XIV related to go with that, because that's the kind of impact it's left on me, where I want to immortalize it, shall I say, commemorate it with something mm. that I actually physically own. Um, my opinion of all of it, from Realm Reborn to Endwalker, is not too dissimilar to what a lot of other people have said in the general curvature of quality, so I'm not going to say spend time talking about a lot of the things I could spend time talking about on this. It's really fucking good. It is worth the, the journey and the time invested. But I want to talk about a curious phenomenon with it. And it's not necessarily, I would say, solely unique to Final Fantasy XIV, but it's something I felt acutely afterwards. And it was a realization that having played it this year over the course of about six months... I, however, haven't played it as it has existed in its truest form. And you might be thinking, what on earth are you talking about, Shads? More than usual. So, allow me to explain. When Realm Reborn came out, of course, it goes through the MMO cycle of having patches. And then, of course, there is the next expansion. Then more patches, then the expansion afterwards, and so on and so forth. With a time gap between each patch. That doesn't sound anything too controversial, strange, or unusual, of course, but what I noted is that the story of Final Fantasy XIV tends to place a lot of emphasis and tries to explain these gaps in time between patches and story concept updates with things like, we're waiting to be let into a place, and such and such. And it makes for a gameplay experience, if you're currently like doing it right now as it exists, that's very different than what it was when the game first launched, and I'm not even talking about how it plays differently or how classes have changed over time. 
The example I'll give that should make this clear is, at the end of the Realm Reborn story, bad things happen. Everything goes to hell in a handbasket. It's what you'd expect, really. But as a result, your character, the Warrior of Light, is exiled, um, and is forced to apply for asylum in the nation of Ishgard. And you are told that you're going to basically have to wait in an Ishgardian outpost on their borders for about three months before you're let in. And that's by which I mean in narrative time. Interesting. Now, now, as it turns out, when I looked into this, the patch that that storyline was released in where you get exiled, and then the Heavensward expansion where you finally enter Ishgard, were about, would you believe it, three months apart from each other in real life, real world time. So they actually put the effort in to try and codify this weight, this, you know, sense like that the player has of, I want to get into new expansion, with a tangible in-story reason for why that's happening. It's like Animal Crossing. Oh you have to be at gosh. your computer <laughs> in the mor- on the morning that the expansion drops to get in. Isabel is the most powerful warrior of light, let's be clear. <laughs> exactly, yes. And Tom Nook is Alpha No. I'm just making I that joke. Say, yes. Totally totally. Fucking, totally fucking Alpha No. But here's the thing, right? That was He's a summon. <laughs> that was at the time that Realm Reborn was out, when it was the only Final Fantasy XIV that existed, and just before Heaven's Ward came out. That's when that three-month period existed. So, of course, when I play it this time around, in the year of our Unholy Lord, or our Lordless 2022, I, of course... Lordy line. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. I, of course, get to the quest line where I get exiled, and I don't go on to the next quest immediately, but that three-month in-game wait is five seconds. Because, of course, the quest is now available for me to do right away. I don't have to wait a whole three months for it to pop up. And so that's not the only example of that in 14, but I found it very curious that it's actually, I would argue, impossible to play this in a way that reflects its original intended experience because of these narrative elements in it where they try and tie in the real weight between patches and story content uh, between the to-be-continued, if you'll call that, and the actual continuation thereof. Um, And what I'm currently doing, or what I had done this time around, which was, oh, I guess I've got to wait to be let into this nation to go and solve the next problem. Oh, wait, no, never mind, I'm through. I guess they must have got their systems on, like, you know, the cloud or some shit like that. (laughs) Uh, The other example I'll I'll mention is, without spoiling too much, um, about halfway through the post-patch content of Shadowbringers, there is the culmination of an arduous journey of sorts. Like, everything kind of goes back to normal for a period before the next major villain shows up. And again, playing this um, as I did where Shadowbringers is not the most recent expansion, nor even that most recent patch, I went literally from that point in the story where, oh, we've kind of survived a horrific ordeal and now we get some downtime to immediately going into the next big conflicts. Whereas the way that that patch played out, you would have to wait another couple of months before the next big conflict would spool up. So you got to feel that downtime as a player. You got to enjoy it in that sense. So I just found that very curious, reflecting back on my experience playing it, that while I still thoroughly enjoyed it, it's not actually, I would argue, possible to experience Final Fantasy XIV anymore in the originally intended way where they're trying to take advantage of this 
real-time uh, development of the patches and the story content and, the comment and account for it um, in the actual narrative as, as a result. Or where they take advantage of things like, hey, you've won a great big battle. We'll give you three months where you don't have to worry about anything. And then the next bad guy will come crashing over the hills and start stirring shit up. I just found it a fascinating thing because it's not something you'll see in um, regular games, really, and probably not even in other MMOs. But, I mean, if there are other examples of this kind of phenomenon, then I'm sh- I'd be curious to hear them. But it just felt like something I'd never really experienced before. Where I was like, oh, I'm not having the same experience as other people who've like played it since it was launched in 2014, the same year that you mentioned before, funnily enough. Mm-hmm. Not that it's even a bad thing. It's just a curious difference, an anomaly, if you will. I hear you could have that experience if you picked up Cyberpunk 2077 today, as opposed to when it was originally released. Well, that's that's because uh, Cyberpunk <laughs> it's tw- quite different. Well, that's because uh, that's not because Cyberpunk 2077 was trying to exercise an erasive um, weight <laughs> no, on the no. time to time. It was because it was rushed out <laughs> the door by CD Projekt Red because they think crunch is something that exists in serial and not bad working practice. Mm-hmm. Tossers. So, uh, so should people, if they haven't played Final Fantasy fourteen for, you know, whatever reason, because uh, it's long, it's intimidating, they don't want to play with other people, like, would you recommend people play it? Who yes. should play it? Um, I would honestly say anyone. Provided, mm. but, but I am going to tell you this, though. The first, the Realm Reborn and the first expansion, Heavensward, are free to play. That's quite mm-hmm. a lot of content. I would treat this as the same way as I would say you treat an anime show with a free, the free episode rule or a similar tasting session, if you want to call it the, that. The, the 30 hour rule <laughs> or whatever. Longer How than, long? Longer is it longer than, than that? Oh, definitely. <laughs> um, I would say to give that a try. The problem is, is the tasting session isn't representative of the later, the, like the rate of changes and how good the writing gets, which is unfortunate. Although it is also necessary to do the earlier parts of Final Fantasy XIV's story to understand what's going on and get the most experience out of it, like is it the best results, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will throw the caveat in that you should try the free trial first. You are under no obligation to pay a penny for it. Um. And if you get to the end of it and you think, wow, that was pretty awesome, I'll keep going, do it. If not, I wouldn't blame you if you if you, if you don't, because it is also a significant time investment. I, and I can't downplay that as, even if I wanted to. But yeah, I thoroughly fucking enjoyed everything all the way through to Endwalker. In an ideal world, there would be no more Final Fantasy XIV after Endwalker. I know that sounds... Completely uh, contradictory to everything oh, I've just said. Oh, they've already released a patch. <laughs> yeah, they've already done patches leading into whatever's coming next. But for me, like, Endwalker just wraps up the story that I'd seen from Realm Reborn mm. onwards so perfectly. And nothing else needed to be done. I was content. Um, mm. I was quite happy with everything. But yeah, I thoroughly fucking enjoyed it. I'm still tweeting about it occasionally. I still look at some of the screenshots I took of various silly things that happened in it. Uh, or even the more serious moments for that matter, it's going to stick with me probably for quite a long while afterwards. Um, so yeah, easily the best thing I played all year. Not the only thing, mind you, but easily the best. That's super cool. Um, what's the best class? <laughs> what class should you play? Uh, that's hard, because they're all actually 
pretty decent in their own right. I ended up probably playing Dark Knight the most, so no surprises there. Um, a different kind of question. So this is not the only MMO that you've sunk a lot of hours into. Like, yes. How would you say? How would you say this compares to to World of Warcraft? Like, right? Are I they ha- just too different to talk about, or do you prefer one to the other? Are they both good in their own way? I, I have to heavily caveat this by saying that I've not played World of Warcraft since two thousand and ten. That's a long time. Yeah, well, I guess did... just your experience with it. Yeah, I'm gonna say this. I infinitely prefer 14, but mm. but with that said, I think that where I am now is not who I was when I was in 2010, when it was that year, and so I think my brain's calibrated differently for different things. So I don't regret my time with World of Warcraft back when I was playing it. Um, but that's because I was a different person back then, I would say. I probably wouldn't care for it now. Whereas 14 had a lot to appeal to me specifically as I am today in terms of like its writing quality and the character beats, all the good stuff that I'm usually in for that you've heard me babble all about on previous podcasts with other works. So that's what kept me going. And it's also ironically why I probably stopped playing it because I don't mind doing group content, but like the story's over as far as I'm concerned. I've seen as much of it as I need to, and it ended on an extremely brilliant note. So, yeah, I, I would say overall, 14 is the one that's going to probably stick with me the longest, because it's most also fresh in my memory, because it's the most meaningful thing to me in terms of, like, how much I enjoyed it. Although, of course, I'm not changing my handle anytime soon. That's still remaining a shame, and don't worry <laughs> about that. <laughs> um. So there have been people that have said it's the best written Final Fantasy story. Agree or disagree? Yes, with an asterisk. Because spicy. Because you have to keep one thing in mind here. You can't really, I say, I say, compare fourteen to other Final Fantasies because it's an apple and oranges thing. I mean, without again spoiling too much, by the end of Endwalker, there's been a substantial political upheaval. Um, where things have actually gotten a lot better since they, the situation, the status quo at the start of Realm Reborn. Like, a lot of the lingering hostilities between various nations uh, has been resolved. There's actually a united, almost world government sort of situation come up with that's been created. And that story, I don't think, would work in, let's say, a 25-hour single-player Final Fantasy. Because... The MMO format being as long and as arduous as it is to go through all of it in terms of sheer hours makes that kind of massive change more plausible. And I, and you remember what I said before about the idea of, like, I'm not playing the same Final Fantasy fourteen that other people are playing simply in terms of sheer time and the time between content? That equally applies to... I think that applies even more so to people who've gone through that, because they can see like how things were when Realm Reborn started as far as the factions were concerned, and how they are now, and it actually feels plausible that in that time period, things can change so dramatically. And a single-player Final Fantasy won't have the literal playing hours to do that. So I am going to say that it is the best written Final Fantasy with, a, with that caveat. The other caveat I would mention is, and this is something I've spoken about a lot, um, Tifa it, is just shaking her head at you over in the corner. Oh, Lee, don't worry. Tifa's an infinite... Well, it's not an infinitely better. She's a better punch lady than Lise. 
Lisa's the resident punch lady who also has final heaven as a move. That's literally in the game. Um, but she's still, Tifa's still better than Lise. Although I still like Lise well enough. But anyway, beside the point, the other thing I'll mention is we have to remember again that writing skill and the general expectation on the quality of the narrative um, of any given game these days is a lot more than it was back in the day. Now, that does not mean that, let's say, Final Fantasy VII, when it came out in 1997, was badly written. Badly translated, yes, but that's a different discussion. But rather, remember that people have an increasingly accumulating amount of previous material to learn from and to build their own writing skills. And so, one of the lead writers, I think her name was Natsuko, like, she's fairly new to all of this, um, but she clearly put in a lot of work to try and make the writing of Shadowbringers and Endwalker as good as it is. So, my long rambling point at this, basically, is that it is the best written Final Fantasy XIV, but it has a lot of advantages in regards to what it's, the story is trying to tell, and also just the years of general development and improvement in narrative quality, that while I can say that, I don't want to say yes without any qualifiers, because it feels unfair. We haven't actually had a proper mainline Final Fantasy that's single player since 15, if you recall, and that was out, what, a couple of years ago? That was definitely pre-pandemic, wasn't it? Might have been oh, 17, yeah. 18? Uh, something like that. I think it might have been longer ago than that. Yeah, and the only um, one prior I'm to that... typing it into Google as we speak. Yeah. And that's, the only one... uh, that'd be 2016. Yeah. So... You have to remember, like, that it's not a clean competition between 14 and its siblings in the franchise for various reasons. But I still think that it has individual moments that are easily the equal of any of the best bits of, say, 7, 8, or 10, the ones I have played. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of really good payoffs. Like, there are payoffs in Endwalker that are relating to plot points from all the way back in Realm Reborn, believe it or not. Which is kind of crazy. I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. They seem to have their shit together when it comes to like the the narrative and the lore and stuff. Yeah. I will add one final thing. Final Fantasy XIV also just makes me really happy for two reasons. One, that it was so shit at the start with 1.0 and that it is completely U-turned to transcend its original origins as one of the worst MMOs ever made to becoming... A, a genuinely, like, I'd say pop cultural phenomenon. Not in a, like, really wide sense where the general public necessarily know about it, but part of the reason I started playing was because people were constantly talking about it, and they still do. There's, like, a lot of love and community around that game. Um, mm -hmm. So seeing, like, the fact that you can literally turn something around from being that bad to that good, the only comparable thing I can think of is uh, the anime that could and, and then could um, bottom tier Tomazaki, character Tomazaki, which we, <laughs> right, which I thought <laughs> sucks balls when we started it, and by the end I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm actually really enjoying this, and it has a lot of cogent mm -hmm. points and character development, and it's kind of almost meta how the show has developed in quality in tandem with its main character. So similar thing. Yeah. The the other is, and I, I really shouldn't give too much credence to this, or put too much emphasis on it, because it doesn't really matter. But every time I hear about Square Enix fi Enix's financials, they keep saying that 14 is like probably the only thing keeping them really afloat these days. Um, like, their blockchain stuff has failed, thank fuck. 
They should never dabble with that fucking <laughs> shit. That was so it. dumb. Yeah, that was God. stupid. Another fucking 2022 genius moment. <laughs> oh no, my apes. Uh. But anyway, uh, so hearing that, like, I, I can't... Because the thing is, like, the actual gameplay mechanics are not anything all that special, I would say. They, they're satisfactory to good. But clearly people are enamored with something else in the, in the game. It's, and I would say that's probably a lot of the writing. So while it doesn't prove any causal link between good writing or good, like, you know, narrative and increased returns and general financial and pop culture success, I'm glad at least there's another example in the books, so to speak, that, that confirms that that can happen. Yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 really glad that you played it and that uh I don't know that one of us has gone on to discover how amazing it is. Uh cuz I started to and then fell off of it. Yeah. And and you're not Maybe. and the thing yeah, the, the thing is though, you're not wrong to do that. Like again as as I stressed though, like I I would love more people to play it, but the thing is I would say that the content in Final Fantasy XIV can be enjoyed by anyone, but MMOs cannot be enjoyed by everyone. There's a distinction there. And where um, the- listen, if if they can mod that shit and make it single player, because that's why I fell off was because I had a a really shitty uh, time in a dungeon with some people, and I was like, I'm enjoying this, but not enough to put up with that. Shockingly, I think the vast majority of the dungeons I did were actually pretty flawless. Oh, I don't mean um like a poor in terms of game design. I mean no, I that's mean, like, that, no. I know exactly what my, you mean. My Yours, party, yeah, yeah no, my, that's I, that's why I meant personal interaction. Okay, that's, okay, that okay. that is exactly what I meant. Like I had one or two maybe, and that was it. Uh, I've had yeah. some really fun times in dungeons with with p- players like. Mm-hmm. There's, there is like um there are a couple of dungeons that are part of a roulette called the main scenario and they have unskippable cutscenes. I remember doing one of the one such run of this one day to get some items, and we just spent our time doing MST3K riffs on them in the party chat on the dialogue, which was great fun. Like, oh no, he's blown it up. He's got to, to fill in his insurance forms. He's got to, to turn over leaf when it says please continue on another side. He's got lots of fill in to explain this <laughs> fuck up. Oh, poor Gaius. Poor Gaius Van Belsar. Uh, literally Darth Vader. And then he gets a glow up in Shadow... Well, not in Shadowbringers, in Stormblood, which is uh, quite shocking, but hey, fair play to him. Anyway, that's about as specific as I'm going to get on talking about any of the content. It's not necessarily what I'd have picked to talk about, but anyway. Anyway. That's all I'm going to say on on Final Fantasy XIV. Definitely give it a try, at the very least on the, on the free trial. Uh, but do be warned, the time sink involved in getting to the really, really juicy stuff is long, it's arduous, it is worth it, but I don't blame people if they go, oh, I can't invest time in this, or it's not for me, because the game play itself is just kind of whatever. But yeah, um, fucking brilliant stuff. Loved it. Excellent, excellent. So uh, my thing, my first thing I'll talk about is also a video game and also the best thing I played this year. Maybe the best thing I played that's come out uh, in the last decade. Mm-hmm. No, well, no, not the last 10 years, uh, the 2020s, right? This decade. Um, stiff competition. I know. I actually can't even think of, I, I can't even remember because my memory's shite. 
what other incredible games have come out in the last couple of years. I'm sure some fantastic ones. But mm-hmm. my favorite of, of them all, and certainly my favorite of this year that I've played, is Elden Ring. Do I get to make uh, the obvious joke? Do I get to make the classic please, shader yeah. joke? Make oh, it. it. Oh, it's the uh, it's the most common disease amongst retired elderly people possible. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh no, I got the case of the Elden Ring. Oh no, you do, and now you're maidenless. Oh, but but you can still hear the call of grace that speaks to us all. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, no, Elden Ring. Um, I uh, I love this game. I love this game an awful lot. Uh, I am, I mean, everybody in our Discord knows how much I love it. Um, how big of a From Software devotee that I have been uh, since I first played Bloodborne in 20. So it came out in 15. So I played it the next year. I played it in 2016. Thank you, H Bomber guy. You beautiful man. You've, you've, gifted my life something very special and that has a love for FromSoft games. Um, and yeah, since then I've gone back and played the ones that came out before that. I've played the couple that have come out since then and uh, specifically they're like a president and the guy that directs pretty much all the games that have come out uh, in the sort of modern era since like 2009 or so uh uh miyazaki what's his what's the man's first name hidetaka, hidetaka I, was say, I was to say hayato oh hayato Miyazaki. Yeah. Miyaz- yep. it's the same guy uh no hidetaka Game, Miyazaki. games are trash um, yes <laughs> games were a mistake mm-hmm. RPG, rpgs were a mistake um no i i love the games he directs uh this one though elden ring in particular like is I don't know if it's my favorite one of theirs. I don't know. I still don't know sort of where it sits on my sort of list of like my favorites uh, video games wise. But like it's probably their magnum opus and kind of the culmination of Mm. everything that they have done in the action RPG space up to up to this point. So like, you know, not including like the. The, well, I mean, maybe including the Kingsfield stuff, but aside from like the Armored Core, set aside our, the Armored Core stuff in like the PS2 era, but like from Demon Souls onward, uh, this game sort of takes elements from all of their games, uh, mechanics, big and small, from all those games and kind of puts them together in an incredibly satisfying way. But like, I think like the the first thing that people will notice about the game is just like the the look of it. Like the art design is just staggering. Uh be it like the world itself, the locales, you know, the the amazing castles, the like dilapidated shanty towns or um the like I don't know, the like the prisons or like the the beautiful capital city with like a this the fully sort of intact remains of a dragon that like attacked it, you know, eons ago, still just sort of sitting there in the city. People have like built buildings around it and kind of have begun sort of living around this. Uh, did 
Do you have people selling yes. like photographs and souvenirs? <laughs> I wish, yes. Uh, the the camera has not been invented yet, unfortunately. Ah, uh, well. But perhaps they should. They should. There should be a wizard though that like magics photographs into being. You, you um, should have the uh, the classic Dark Souls text souvenir bought. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes, and then just have a misleading thing about the the souvenir in the item description. And every item, um, co- every item you buy in the city costs, or like in the the, the dragon area costs like 10,000 dragon dollars and they're worth like 20 pence a piece. Like the yes. 10,000 fun bucks. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, but like, I mean, just, uh, and like the characters, the bosses, the armor sets, all the weapons, like everything just looks incredible. Um, and not necessarily from a fidelity standpoint, but but just again, from an artistic point of view. It's their most stunning game. Um the exploration is like just it's just magnificent man i mean i've never been one as i've said on the show many times never really been one for open worlds and i've realized that that has so much more to do with like the way that they're presented to me in a game than the concept itself mm. um i think like the the open world ui and objectives list and icons and uh the sameness of the open world and uh and sort of the lack of meaningful things to do, like all that stuff can kind of overwhelm me and turn me off. Whereas like, like what, before, like what I, yeah, like what I said with Dragon Age Inquisition before, where it's just death by yeah. minimap. Yes. Yes. Where it's like, you're told you have a million things to do and they're all equally unimportant and mostly all equally kind of boring. Um, At least this has been my experience with very limited experience with, with the open world genre. Um, and so when I heard this game was going to be open world, I was like, oh man, I don't know. Like, I don't know, but, but I haven't really dug these games too much in the past, but I, I felt pretty optimistic again because of this, uh, the director and the, and the team that are working on it. And I mean, it was totally rewarded because like, again, the exploration was just amazing. Like, and I've played Breath of the Wild, not to completion, but I've played a nice chunk of, of Breath of the Wild, and that has a really good exploration as well. But this game, to me, is unmatched in terms of, like, just having a really good time just seeing what the hell is out there. Mm. Hopping on your, your spiritual steed, Torrent. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I forget what they call it. He's a, a spectral steed. That's what it is. His name's Jim. Uh, it's gotta be, that's if right. It, if it's going to have a name, it needs to be the most boring average name possible. Steve. Steve Torrent. Um, <laughs> yeah. So just hopping on Torrent and just sort of riding into the horizon. And, you know, you can make the obvious jokes like, you see that mountain? You can go there. You know, that's all true. Um, but, man, like, it's it's just full of interesting stuff, like interesting places to to see interesting enemies to fight interesting story like environmental storytelling to soak up um and i just i had so much fun uh exploring the world and seeing all of it um i mean there's just these amazing amazing moments that like like i'm not uh like like joseph anderson definitely 
I think puts a lot of stock in like the first play of a game like that of mm. any game. And, but I, I'm definitely not in that camp. I mean, I don't think like it makes them uh, that you can't, you can't go home again. Like the first playthrough is like this sacred thing. And then hmm. the subsequent playthroughs sort of lose something because you've experienced a thing before, or, you know, something. Um, but there were these, like these moments you know, when you're exploring around and you just have no idea what's coming. Um, and then something happens like, uh, I don't know, you have, you're wandering around this dilapidated kind of, uh, swampy ruin, killing some zombie type guys who are zombified because it turns out like death in this world has been like the, the process of death has been stalled out because like the, the divinity in power does not want to give up their power. Um, oh, how many and, times have I heard that? And like, you know, call yes, speak. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so she, she basically was like, oh, someone tried to kill me. Well, I'm going to abolish the concept of death. And so the, all these people like can't really die and be reborn the way that they're meant to be. And so they're just like wandering around zombified. Thanks. Obamacare. And, <laughs> exactly and you're going around killing them and you kind of um, ride out of the swamp onto a little uh, a tiny little island and then suddenly like a fucking movie this dragon you you hear it swooping in and it comes down and lands right in front of you and you're battling it impromptu in the field and just to add no expectation of that happening there and then there's just like a, a ton of stuff like that that is so great. And uh the story is is excellent. Um to, it's both the similar and different to what From has done. Because you know, George R. R. Martin was is the person who came up with like the mythos of the world uh, mm-hmm. years ago. So he contributed to the writing. Um it's hard for me to like tell where his writing and Miyazaki's like begins and ends. Cause again, it, it is sort of similar. Well, actually, no, I, 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 I can stop you there because George R.R. R. Martin's writing begins, but doesn't end. So clearly it's Miyazaki. Right. That's the ending. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, it, or it just doesn't begin in the case of maybe this last book uh, or last two books. Um, anyway, uh, the story is, again, I think it's excellent. It's told in similar ways to other FromSoft games, which are sort of cryptic. I think they've gotten increasingly cryptic and abstract over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that's, I mean, but that's a fine thing in my opinion. Um, I think... And and the way that you sort of uncover it is, you know, you have your introductory movie, cutscene, everything. You find out, okay, here they set the scene and you know your kind of objective, your main objective. And then you're sort of turned loose on the world to sort of do it in the way that you want to. And you can, and you're an outsider coming into the world and so it makes sense that you don't know every single thing that's happening and you kind of have to find it out through either uh, item descriptions, 
where when you pick up stuff, there's an item description in your menu. I sort of think of the item descriptions like a narrator in a book, um, kind of telling you about it. Mm-hmm. Those those give you give you plot details or or history or little bits of of narrative, and then NPC discussions when you do NPC quests, and NPCs can be more or less reliable in terms of, or, or they can even be mistaken in terms of you know the truth about the world, and so it's up to you to take those two things and then kind of what you see visually, architecturally, uh, events that play out before you, and kind of piece it together like a detective. And, you know, in one playthrough, uh, that can be tough to do. Uh, So more than one playthrough, I think a lot of times in these games is warranted. And this game has like six endings as well, so... Uh, you're probably going to want to play it through more than once to see the others, or you could just watch them on YouTube. Less guess, ending, like, a norm, like a normal person. <laughs> less less endings than near awesome are so clearly an inferior game. Zero I know exactly. Yes. Pass, zero zero <laughs> yeah. out of ten refund on Steam. Bye. I know. I know. I know. Um, they'll make Chrono Trigger the game with the 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 best game ever. It has like forty endings, I think. <laughs> um, but uh. You know, like I, I love sort of the sense of discovery, you know, and I talked about that with the exploration, just discovering places, but like the sense of discovery of the story, like I really felt like, you know, I'm piecing this together. And this is the first time I've really gotten into a From game on release. When Sekiro came out um, in 19, I bounced off it initially pretty hard. I came back to it later. That game is fucking hard. Holy shit. Um, these games have a reputation for being difficult. That is, I think, somewhat overstated. Uh, except for for me, Sekiro totally lives <laughs> up to that as a goddamn difficult game. Um, but it is also very uh, different from and unlike the rest of the From games. Um, but anyway, yeah, I was super satisfied with the narrative in Elden Ring. I mean, even the music contributes to the narrative, uh, which I, I find just fascinating. Um, and a lot of it's incomplete in, in, you you know, a lot of it sort of requires like you thinking about things, speculating, you know, there are definitely big pieces that would make everything make complete sense. Uh, and you'd be able to write a Wikipedia about it all. I mean, it's just don't, don't seem to be there. It's the perfect game. Uh, the godsend game, even for YouTube grifters. Gotta get that thumbnail with an arrow pointing to something that's in frame and saying seven things this might mean. Oh. <laughs> hey now, listen. Do not slag off the Elden Ring YouTube com- community. Oh, I'm uh, sure. I'm, I'm <laughs> sure they're fine. I'm. I'm specifically slagging off low effort, nonsensical bullshit mm. YouTube content. Particular people yes. having O faces on thumbnails and arrows pointing to things that are extremely <laughs> obvious. <laughs> If you put a thumbnail uh, yes. like that on your YouTube video, I will never fucking watch it. It could be... <laughs> I could literally be tied up in a fucking room oh, somewhere, right? And there could be a bomb opposite. And I could go on YouTube, bomb defusal tips, seven ways you can defuse a bomb, some guy making the fucking O-face with a little arrow pointing to the blue wire, and I will never watch it. I will let that bomb explode, and I will die happy. Thumbnails, the thumbnail game and YouTube needs to fucking improve 
substantially because it's <laughs> all shit. It's all garbage. And honestly, I don't need to see anyone's own face. No, definitely not. I I second that. Absolutely don't need to see YouTubers' own faces. Uh, but there are lots of good Elden Ring content creators that are like. I think doing incredible work like there's uh, Zuli the Witch and Sekiro Doobie that are data miners that really kind of pull out the assets of the game and take a deeper look at them and talk about like what might be going on there lore wise. I mean, Sekiro Doobie has like full on pulled out and recreated a bunch of the cut quest lines um, that were not in the game. Uh, like the voice acting is still there for a lot of them. Um, you know, they've put the NPC locations and the dialogue and everything like that back. It's really fascinating to see. And then like, as far as like the game that's there, I mean, you have people like Vati Vidya, who's been doing it since Dark Souls one, you have like Smotown and Quaylog and, uh, all kinds of great cool creators that have been making great videos like trying to suss out like the lore and what's going on with it and i mean those have been great resources for me because honestly there's just so goddamn much of it this is a such a huge game it's like three thanksgiving dinners worth of game that it's really easy to lose track of certain little bits you know because the game is not beating you over the head with uh with the fact that uh i don't know uh, that the person that needs to serve as kindling for the Erd Tree has to be a person who could show you the way to Faramazula, to Destiny. They little things like that. Like I mean, it's said like once in this like 150 hour game, and you know what I mean. So it's hard to mm. keep track sometimes of of when you're trying to piece together a story. All this information. So that stuff's great. Um, the bosses are amazing. Uh, honestly, some of my favorite fights ever doesn't have my favorite from fight ever. That's Lady Maria of the Astral Clock Tower from Bloodborne. Probably will always be my favorite uh, experience in a game like that. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to top your first when it comes to that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> well, because like you know, when you play the similar types of games, you know, you get better. Oh, I, I was la- I was laughing because I took your comment completely out of context there. In my oh, mind. oh, oh yes. Mm. Um, but I, I, I love, I think the bosses are amazing designed really well visually. I think that's the area where the game has gotten like the most criticism from hardcore from people is like the bosses are, I think most people say that they're too difficult. Um, and what they mean by that is like, they aren't able to, easily sort of learn how to go hitless against them. Uh, they feel like, you know, I don't know. They can, uh, they, they feel like that they are, they're the, they can't recognize the patterns uh, in their attacks uh, easily enough that there are too many moves or move variations or uh, combo branches or whatever. Um, and I just, am like, gestures towards massive pile of YouTube videos showing speedrunners going hitless against all the bosses. <laughs> I mean, it's like very possible. And it's like, you know, it just seems weird. They're like, 
Yeah, not like that. I don't want to. I don't. I don't. I want to. I want to be possible for me. I don't, but I don't want to put in over a certain amount of effort. So I'm going to blame the game for that. Shouldn't they just call um, in the guy with the pot on his head to solve this? Exactly. Let me solo her. Just so. But no. See, that would mean summoning, and they don't. You know, a lot of the more sort of hardcore crowd might believe that summoning makes you uh, a wuss, Shadon. There's nothing more player. There's <laughs> nothing more hardcore than calling out to our Lord and Savior, Carmen Potman. Mm-hmm. You know, I agree. Uh, my first playthrough, uh, I did a lot of summoning. Usually not, uh, well, never actual players, but a lot of NPC summons. And uh, this game added spirit ashes that you can summon. You can get like a lot of helpers. Like there are three good wolf boys that you can summon. And they can just they they follow you around as a pack of wolves and uh, they glow blue, you know, because they're your spirits. They're your spirits you summon to fight uh, with you. And then, uh, yeah, they attack stuff for you. Uh, and it's great. And uh, if you're struggling against particular bosses or a big area full of enemies, it's really nice to be able to to have ag- their aggro pulled uh, elsewhere. Um. There's a giant jellyfish summon that you can get. Uh, Ooh, there's some nice. really, yes, there's some fun stuff. Uh, but um, in the current run I'm doing, I am not summoning for any 1v1 boss fights. And I've really enjoyed it. Like learning all the the patterns and learning, I don't know, things about the bosses and how they move and sort of feeling like, oh God, this is going to be so fucking hard. And then like, over time, kind of learning like, oh, like I have the opportunity to hit here or like there's a delay sometimes between these moves. And I mean, the AI is certainly more advanced, so they're more reactive to your position and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people accuse them of input reading, uh, like when you try to heal at a distance. Um, I don't think that's accurate, but they do react to your, you know, to your distance. <laughs> um, but anyway. I'm getting really in the weeds about the bosses, but like the bosses are awesome and fun. I think, uh, is this game really difficult? Like, I mean, I think that's like the barrier for a lot of people. And for, for me, I don't know. For me, I found it among the least difficult of the games. Cause there's like so many awesome options for builds. Like I love the build variety in this game. Like you could be, and, and if you play bloodborne, like it's such, the opposite of that, right? Bloodborne and Sekiro, especially. Uh, but bl- those games like really kind of funnel you into a one play style. Uh, there's no builds to speak of in Sekiro because you're a named character. You're not a created character. You're like, you are Sekiro and Sekiro has this one weapon. Uh, mm-hmm. In Bloodborne, there's a little bit more customization, as you know. But um, the weapon variety is not as big and there's not really a, f- a fully fleshed out magic system. Um, so, and that game wants you to be really aggressive, but in Elden Ring, I mean, you could, you could be, a uh, fight at a distance with magic. You could be a person that buffs themselves up a lot with different attack buffs or defense buffs. Uh, you could be a person that relies on spirit ashes and buffs them up. You could be uh, a melee fighter. Like you could be a huge giant buff guy with huge, massive gats from berserk swords, guts rather. 
Um, this is me relying. That's, <laughs> if you watched the Berserk fan subs, he was called Gats <laughs> instead of Guts. Uh, Gatsu. Uh, but, um, or you could, uh, you know, you could be a little ninja. Uh, you could be a battle mage, which is what I'm playing as now. I have a katana that I just like quickly unsheathe in an arc that throws magic at people. It's rad. You really have been studying so the blade this year. I have been, exactly. While you've been playing MMOs, I've studied the blade. Um, no, I don't know. Is there is there anything, any questions you want to ask about the game? Because I love talking about the game, but I don't want to ramble too much. Um, um, I'll just add that, like, I, I'm speaking for myself here. I think that there is a, how should we put it, a, a barrier between people and their enjoyment of a FromSoft game. Now, here's the thing before you jump in on that. The barrier that I'm referring to varies between person to person in size and also in ease of breaking. Like, some people might really spend, like, a really long time bashing their heads against the barrier, and then they get through it and it clicks and they enjoy it. For some people, they don't spend hardly any time on it at all, and they never break past the barrier. And then some people just do it really quickly. And usually, once you've broken the barrier on one from, from soft game, as I understand it, that's you set for the rest of them. You understand. Broad, broadly speaking, yeah, broadly speaking, that is true. Yeah. Um, I think, you have I think, a blasphemous moment um, where you felt like that style of game, or at least an approximation of it, really clicked with you. Was that last year? Um. Yes, it was last year. Blasphemous. I'm, what a good game. <laughs> it's very good, don't get me wrong. But I think the difference is partly because it's 2D and not 3D. So I do think there's some distinction between that and the FromSoft yeah. stuff that it's definitely emulating. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I otherwise haven't ever really gotten into FromSoft games. They've just not been my thing. And I'll just throw it out there. These games, like, if they're not your thing, that's totally fine. But also, like, yes. I, yes. Loved, I loved the hype and the uh, enthusiasm you have for this. And I will say, having not played Elden Brink, the way you describe how it handles its open world, where it's not completely full of like, go to this radio tower and activate it for a mild bonus. Go plant a flag <laughs> on this hill. Go collect this conch shell. There's 254 more of them out there in the world. Can you find them all for 10 achievement points? Like, the fact that it seems to, as I understand it, to be devoid of that stuff is extremely fucking welcome. Oh man, it it is like, and... It it satisfies, I think, the even the FromSoft base who are used to sort of 3D Metroidvania kind of games that don't don't really care for open worlds because you have your open world, but then sort of integrated into it are what the game refers to as legacy dungeons, hmm. and they are these big, and they are huge. Uh, as big some of them are as big or bigger than than any particular dungeon in a souls game um but they're big sort of metroidvania style dungeons with checkpoints and shortcuts and uh you know linear kind of progression through from the beginning to the boss at the end um and so yeah not only is the open world not filled with with cruft but like it even if you're like you know okay i I, this open world experience i want something a little different you just you know, hop in a legacy dungeon. Hmm. There you go. 
Yeah, it, it's like Elden Ring sounds awesome, and I'm glad that FromSoft have been. You, you know, like what I said with um, Final Fantasy XIV, where I was glad that it was rewarded with commercial and popular success, um, just for being, I would say, good in its own right. If that makes any sense, you know what I mean? Like where they've actually put some mm-hmm. real effort into it. Like it feels like a labor of love. And I want to give that same credit to FromSoft for doing. Um, what they've done with Elden Ring and Bloodborne, where they're unapologetically their own thing. In fact, the, the very Souls-like, ter- like you know, f- Souls-like as a term, like the fact that it even exists at the moment, I think really speaks to um, how like much they permeated like the consciousness of gamers and gaming culture across the world. So, it's not my thing. It will more than likely never be my thing. That's fine. I'm just some random dude. It doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> but I am really glad that you are enjoying it. I'm really glad that it's, you're getting a lot of value out of it, both in terms of actual hours and in terms of enjoyment and meaning from it. And I'm glad that it um, FromSoft is getting the chance to do what they want to do. For God's sake, let people off the leash. Let creators off the leash. They can do their own thing. I know. Oh, my goodness. Um very, very excited about the fact that they are taking steps to become their own publisher. Yeah. So they'll sort of have total kind of f- total free reign uh, as, as much creative freedom as they have now. Um, you know, they don't own like Activision owns the Sekiro or at least has a piece of the, the Sekiro IP and Namco Bandai has Dark Souls and Elden Ring and Sony has Bloodborne and Demon Souls. So um, it'd be cool. Uh you know, for them to be able to publish their own, their own stuff. That'll be neat. And uh, for those of you listening in the future, you all know about the FromSoft announcements that may or may not be at the Game Awards on Thursday. And I sure hope you're living in a world where the Elden Ring story DLC has been announced because I want that so fucking bad. Like the DLC in these games is usually the best part of the games. Like it, it's been true in every Souls game. It's been true in Bloodborne. Sekiro didn't have any, but um, and Demon Souls didn't have any. To be fair, but I'm expecting like that. If if it ever comes, hopefully they'll they'll release some, and and it'll be great, and we'll get to go back in time, like we usually do, and and see a lot of like the legendary characters in the story, uh, or or solve some kind of lingering mysteries i'm uh, god it'll be so fucking amazing i i really am excited for for that and speaking to the barrier um i I, yeah i mean i definitely know that one exists there's the difficulty discussion there's like the people in the community like there's a reputation for toxic toxicity uh in the community Elitism um, as well, I think, also is a part of it. Yes, totally, totally warranted. And you know that, unfortunately, uh, you know, depending on where you go and who you run into, can be true. Not always the case, but definitely those people exist. Um, I think the thing I'll say about like the the difficulty is, if you are going to go into this game, and I've convinced you somehow that like, okay, this is worth checking out. Like the excitement, it's, it sounds really fun. Um, don't worry about dying, like dying and losing your currency, uh, 
is just a part of things. It's a part of learning in the game. It's part of experimentation. It's just, it's going to happen. Um, just kind of lean into that and accept that and let that wash over you that that's, it doesn't mean failure. It doesn't mean you're a bad player. It doesn't mean, you know, anything apart from, you know, time to, to start again. Um, and the combat itself is sort of, there is input buffering. It's not like a character action game like uh, Bayonetta or Devil May Cry or whatever, where you can cancel moves out of everything. And there's just this, the, the response is instant, no matter what point you're pressing a button. There's input, but so you, you press a button to attack. And then once you've done that, you've made a decision and you're committed to that now. And until your animation is over, you, you can't now push the button to dodge or the button to attack. So there's sort of that sort of strategic element to it might, might prove difficult, but that makes it sound a lot slower than it is. Um, you know, combat has gotten increasingly fast over the years in these games. And that is the case in Elden Ring. But that can definitely be a thing that takes some getting used to. If you haven't played a lot of like Monster Hunter is the only other game I can think of that's a really huge game and has that kind of animation-based input buffering combat. Um, so that's a thing just to note. Uh, but yeah, uh, let me know uh, via Twitter or the Discord or whatever if somehow... It is my voice who has convinced you to play this game. Uh, and you give it a try and you like it. Because uh, I think it's awesome and I would love to talk about it with anyone. Are you, are you simping for that from soft sponsorship? Mm. I mean, listen, I wouldn't turn it down. I would Doc, not. I, 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 I could just totally see Doc wearing a bonfire lit t-shirt. Hidetaka, call me. <laughs> call me. I mean... I mean, I didn't give a shit about speedrunning before these games, Shadon. And like, I love to watch challenge runs and speedruns of of all of all FromSoft games, but Elden Ring especially. Um, I don't know. Someone just tried to beat it using only a bow and arrow. That's really stupid and fun. <laughs> um, doing it on level one, insane. Uh, anyway, we can move off of uh, Elden Chat, and uh, you can talk about your next thing. This is going to be even more brief, well, relatively speaking, than my Final Fantasy XIV <laughs> discussion, because I'm going to talk about something else I've been playing recently, God of War Ragnarok. Nice. And now I've talked about God of War Ragnarok, let's move on. God of Snore, m- movie rock, more oh, like it. Uh, Am I right? Uh, right, <laughs> right. I should probably clarify. Okay, here's the thing, right? I quite like I, I kid I kid by the I totally am joking. I've not played either of the new games. They look incredible, but I haven't played them and I have no opinion on them except that they look really cool. Yeah. So I remember really liking God of War 2018 because it was a continuation. I remember you telling me that. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was a continuation of a story that I and I think a lot of people assumed had concluded with the end of God of War 3 back on the PlayStation 3 for that matter. And, yeah, it was pretty decent. It was a nice surprise. And I'm cribbing here from a a reader review that I read um, that was on the metro.co.uk website. Metro is a free newspaper in the United Kingdom that's sold, well, sold, distributed Mm. on um, public transport, usually. 
And this chap who, um, who did it, I can't remember their names, so I'm so sorry. But I freely admit I'm cribbing here because I think it really crystallized my feelings on God of War Ragnarok. I should note, by the way, I have actually finished it almost. And when I say almost, the game bugged out during the end credits, so I couldn't see any of the post-credit scenes. I haven't got around to doing those because I thought, well, fuck you, <laughs> no. game. It, it's soft locks, basically. So, uh, yeah. Oh. Bit annoying. And he, he said that the original God of War 2018 was a surprise, and yet Ragnarok is basically more of the same. It looks the same. It plays broadly the same. Not It isn't the same gameplay-wise, of course. It isn't exactly the same. But there are enough more similarities than there are differences, in my opinion. Uh, and it's got a lot of the same quality of the voice acting and the writing. Uh, it even has the same general cinematic style in how it presents characters with the same fixed camera angle and so on, and so forth. Um, and yet he said that because this is just basically more of the same, the guy who wrote this uh, reader's commentary in the Metro, that he said that Ragnarok was one of the worst games of this year. Now, I haven't played anywhere. Oh my god. <laughs> that seems a lot. <laughs> there were other reasons. I'm very much at, like, not telling the full story here because I only read it basically when I was on lunch earlier this morning. But the point being, um, I kind of get, I think I, I get the point that they're coming out, which is that because it's no longer a surprise, it's no longer fresh, everything feels very stale in Ragnarok. It's also a frustrating game in its combat because sometimes things don't feel consistent. Uh, Joseph Anderson, funnily enough, did a three-hour video on God of War 2018. Yes. And you know what's funny? He does not need to do a video on God of War Ragnarok. Because he mm. can basically recycle the same video. Now, I know people are going to say, but he talks about the story of 2018, and the story of Ragnarok is very much different. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. But the core problems that he, like, you know, elucidates on... Um, have not changed. They're all pretty much still there. So, yeah, I, I I won't say that my time with it has been wasted. That's a lie. I did still enjoy it, but you remember what I said before about saying that I'll probably remember Final Fantasy XIV for a very long time to come? Mm-hmm. I will probably not remember much of God of War Ragnarok into the next week. <laughs> oh, man. Boom. Mic drop. It- it was time that I spent and that I ultimately do not regret but feel I could have probably spent on something more interesting overall. It was pretty much okay. Um, so yeah, as I said, let's move on from God of War Ragnarok. I'm going to pass that <laughs> on back to you, Doc. <laughs> All right. Well, I have some disappointing games I want to talk about, but I'm going to talk about those after the break. Dun, dun, dun! Yes, uh, we're back. Going to talk about, uh, since you brought up some games that disappointed you, um, I'll talk about a couple that let me down, um, and I'll be brief as well. Um, this game really, really hurts to put on this list, uh, and that is the Diofield Chronicle, um, uh, published by Square Enix. Um, that is a a strategy RPG, but it's a, you know... I think most strategy RPGs that come out are turn-based. Mm-hmm. This one is this one's real time, um, or at least pseudo real time, because you can pause the the action at any point and uh, reassign orders. 
Just like with uh, TiVo. <laughs> God, what a dated reference. <laughs> We're so old. Um, I know. I don't or like, care. or like, I guess didn't, I don't, I can't remember because as we've discussed, I've never played a Dragon Age game, but I feel like I heard that sort of how that game played or at yes, least versions you, of it. Yeah, you it, it plays on real time, but you can pause it, switch your orders to your comrades, like your, your characters to do certain abilities. And I did that quite a fair bit when I was playing it. Mm-hmm. And so, well, my my sort of point of reference is uh, more obscure. It's a Growlanzer series, which is a JRPG series on, gosh, uh, my experience with it was on the PS2, but I played two and three. So one would have had to have been on the PS1 or the Saturn, uh, but it, it was very much like this. But anyway, so um, this game... Uh, the problem with it, I mean, it's, it's really, really fun in the first few hours, but to me, not enough was done to expand on what you're doing or add variety to what you're doing. Mm. Um, it's one thing if you were a modern fire emblem game, sometimes those missions can get a little samey, but the moment to moment sort of rock, paper, scissors combat to me, makes up for it. Whereas, you know, the combat in this is just like you're moving your guy next to the other guy and they do some moves you assign. It's very MMO-ish. And you might like click a button to call down a magic attack and they're just sort of sitting there, you know, whopping each other. There is, there are positional tactical advantages. Um, So it's not totally just like move your guy into face of other guy and press (laughs) the hit button. Um, but like just the design of the missions, it just felt like it was always just sort of like either kill everyone or, um, sometimes you have to escort like a carriage, uh, through enemy territory and those can be fun. But like once I got like upwards of 20 hours of, of that, and I mean, the, just again, the moment to moment strategic combat was not fun enough to warrant me continuing to play like and the story was fine i heard it gets better as it goes i think the british dub and i say british dub intentionally (laughs) is very good Um, (laughs) it's a lot of fun i think all the voice actors sound it reminds me of castlevania where i feel like everyone sounds fairly laconic and british um, are you, you are you talking about Castlevania the TV show? Just to be clear mm-hmm. on that. Oh, good. Yes, I thought you were yes, referring I'm to not talking about Symphony what is a man. Them. No, no. <laughs> Although um, I think it would be improved by that. To be fair. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, die, you monster. Um, but yeah, no. I it was like good, and then it just didn't have enough to sustain me through the the full playthrough but i do think there's a a really solid and good game there it's the kind of game that i would be very interested in sequels to to see how they iterate on the the solid foundation like do they have more ideas you know um Mm. and then uh fire emblem three hopes uh speaking of fire emblem um i love fire emblem three houses i love fire emblem in general i've not played 
anything that I would consider bad with the Fire Emblem name on it. The, although I'm no completionist by any means in the series, but everything that's had a North American release that's not on the GameCube or the Wii, I've played. Um, and I've liked all of it quite a bit. But uh, this one is not a strategy game. It's like a Musou Dynasty Warriors style of game. Mm-hmm. That's very trendy to do these days is if there's a successful franchise, uh, you know, hand it over to um, Koei Tecmo and the Musou team there and let them. I can't remember the name of the team that makes all the Musou games. Musou team. Um, just just call it that. That's right. <laughs> yes. Uh, but hand it over to them. And, uh, you know, uh, it was like I, I I was hopeful that like a sort of AU of the Three Houses universe, like that that story could get me through. And it just didn't like I just found it boring and also kind of bland to look at. Like it was a very brown game in the beginning. Um, and yeah, you know, it just didn't really it. I, I, I'm sure it clicked for a lot of people and there are things about it that I liked, but uh, I did not find the gameplay or the look of it engaging enough to to have me stick with it and see, you know, hey, what are these amazing characters from Three Houses that I love up to in this alternate universe? Um, I wish I liked it more. Uh, and I'm excited about Fire Emblem Engage. I'm very, very excited about that game that comes out next month. I so, feel like the you described, like, Bernadette's general facial expression sums up the critical reaction to it. I was just like, oh. That's oh. my critical reaction. To be fair, yeah. I feel like the internet, in terms of like the critics, uh, game critics, at least that I um, frequent, uh, they all really liked it, you know? And that was what sort of buoyed my optimism about me liking it, despite the fact that those kind of games have never clicked with me. You know, I've tried, I tried the Berserk one. Ion, is it Ion Storm? It's not Ion Storm. No. That's Daikatan. That's Daikatan. God, who fucking <laughs> made you said all I, these Muso games? And you said I had dated references. <laughs> I know, I know. Fucking hell. Who developed this game? Okay, let's see. Ba, 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 ba. Omega Force. God, Ion Storm. Fuck me, man. No, Omega Force makes all these games. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I tried the Berserk one, the Band of the Hawk. Uh, I tried the Dragon Quest one, which has probably been my favorite out of all the three that I've tried. But yeah, you know, those games I think are just not for me, and that's fine. And you know, you know, I think there should be a Musu game that's called Football Riot Simulator. <laughs> <laughs> just that think about that. Just, something. just think about that. And let that materialize in your mind. Oh my but, god. A Musou game that's just basically a football riot simulator. Oh, Who would just... you be? Who would you be of the fan? Would you be the 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 Bobbies trying to nah, maintain be a order? Fan. You got to okay. be a fan, clearly. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the the main villainous faction would be Millwall fans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with that. You oh, see how this all ties good. together? Like it's a game that good. just basically designs itself at this point. Hmm. Yeah, get, I love this. Get Rockstar to make it, and then we're all good. Oh my god, they're the perfect studio to take on such sort of controversial material as this. <laughs> Amazing. Oh. All right, Baton, pass back to you, Chief. 
All right, I'm going to move away from video games. I'm going to talk about anime. Oh my god, anime on an anime podcast. What's going on with me? Am I feeling okay? All right, I'm going to rewind the clock to the very beginning of the year and talk about something I watched then that is from quite a while ago. But holy shit, uh, what a truly unique and wonderful and terrifying experience this was. Uh, I'm referring to Serial Experiments Lane. Oh my god, you you watched it. I didn't know yeah. that you watched it. Yeah, I watched that this fucking basically... show. It rules so hard. <laughs> yeah. Serial Experiments Lane is... Okay, side, side tangent. I, I know I get into those a lot. Sci-fi, generally speaking, tends to not really predict social movements very well, in my opinion. Like, sci-fi will predict things like the space elevator, the ring world, the laser, the energy shield. Not even things that are necessarily real today. Um, and when it does predict things like the, I hear say, like the existence of the computer, it won't really uh, predict how it will change people's, like, on a, a social level, like how humans react to it. Even though, in my opinion, the best sci-fi does that. And that's exactly what Serial Experiments Lane is. It is Given the context of when it was created in, like, the late 90s, just before the advent of, like, the internet as we know it today. Yeah, pre-broadband, um, right? Yeah. Like, or at least ubiquitous broadband. Pre yeah, I mean, Lane had to basically use AOL trial discs to keep her internet going. <laughs> yes. Um, but for that, like, for the time it was released, it's a shockingly prescient work. Because there's something about the way it depicts the internet um, and the way in which people connect through it and struggle with these connections. One guy says, like, I want to disconnect permanently. And I know there's plenty of people out there in our modern times who definitely wipe that. Um, but the way it portrays it, and as this almost like crushing force that's everywhere around us, that's just shaping and altering reality without us even realizing it. Um, yeah. It's one of the most prescient works I have ever had the pleasure of watching. It's fucking phenomenal. It's very strange, don't get me wrong, but it's strange in all the right ways. Mm -hmm. And it felt very profound watching it, especially if you put it in the appropriate historical context. I'm reminded of... Um, the. I think this film was released in 2018. It's a film called Annihilation, um, which is not to do with the internet. But Annihilation was essentially a film about how people change, like due to external forces. Uh, like, the alien presence in that film basically being a metaphor for, like, life events that change us and alter us and leave us different than we were previously. And there's a line that Natalie Portman's character says at the end of that, where she's asked, like, was it all, was it horrifying? Like, the experience of going into this alien zone in Florida. Which it always is, it's Florida, but anyway. <laughs> um, was it, like, a Zone X or something like that? basically something side effects yeah um, i've read the the first book is it's incredible the book is outstanding hmm. the film is really good as well but she's asked that like was it all horrifying and she says no sometimes it was beautiful mm -hmm. and i think those two lines i'm the reason i'm bringing this back to lane now perfectly describe how it views the internet in that yeah there's a lot of strange and fucks up shit that's going on that's changing people not not for the better but there's a lot of beauty to it as well. It 
it really feels like the the creator of that material like that it came from what i think it was a manga it was i'm 99 it was that before it became an anime like the creator of that i think probably had the most foresight like of any like of any creator of a science fiction work like that that i've ever seen where it felt like they really had an understanding of just what kind of a change the internet would um imp- like push on source like what it would put us through not in concrete terms of like say predicting things like certain social movements um or even things like beams for example but rather just that it was a through the looking glass moment for humanity as a whole um yeah i thoroughly fucking loved lane it's probably one of the best things i've seen all year um I think that it is probably mandatory watching for anyone who's alive in the modern age, who's whether you're like younger than me and you've always known the internet, or you're of my age where the internet wasn't a thing when you were young, and then it gradually became a thing around the time that Lane even came out. Um, it's a very strange show. It's not a conventional show, but I can't not recommend it. It it feels like a foundational text in understanding how the internet is and how like the, those lines in Annihilation say, sometimes it's horrifying and sometimes it's beautiful. Um, so yeah, that was a very strong start to the year for my anime watching in 2022. Lane is fucking brilliant. Give it a watch. Hell yeah. It's like maybe the most unsettling anime I've seen. Certainly one of the most. Um, and I mean, just like I, I distinctly remember like just them cutting to different images, you know, like... Uh, when it will show the way people are looking at their monitors or televisions. They're just drooling, yeah. Like, just so, so totally disturbing. Like, and they're, they just seem so vacuous at that point. And, like, how Lane's room over time just gets increasingly fucking, it, it turns into a, a living, breathing organism of, of wires and computer cards and cases and blinking lights. Um, I love just the emotional experience of the show and visually like it is amazing. It's, it can be nightmarish. Like, I think it's, it's really cool that it has a lot of cool things to say. I think, you know, uh, the, the late great Zach Birchie, I think the wrongest thing he ever said was that lane. And he said this in the mid 2010s that lane feels dated because of, I guess, yeah, the way people use the internet and, and social networks. And yeah, I just like you, like I couldn't disagree more uh, with that and how, yeah. how prescient it is. And um, I will say that if you really like it, uh, Lane and you want to see something like it uh, in the live action space that leans into the dread and the horror of Lane, um, Pulse, the Japanese horror film, pulse it's from around the same time uh i think it's from like 2000 or 2001 uh something like that it is um do not watch the 2006 uh <laughs> the 2006 uh american film but this is a two, <laughs> oh, no, 2000 <laughs> Uh, don't watch the uh, american version of this like really awesome japanese or otherwise <laughs> asian film don't need to I tell know. me twice <laughs> yeah. it's directed by uh kiyoshi kurosawa who i believe is the same person who directed uh dark water 
which is again another Japanese horror film you should watch, but not watch the fucking American remake with Jennifer Connelly. Uh, don't don't do it. Um, uh, but yeah, what Pulse is is amazing. It's one of those things that I've. I've I feel like at some point in the podcast we will cover. I just don't know when. I'm kind of throwing around ideas from time to time. Like, is this the right time? I don't know. But it's a very heavy watch as well, a lot like Lane. But no, Lane Lane rocks. I do think like you, it's like an anime sort of like mandatory viewing. Um it's uh it's written by Chiaki Konaka. Who wrote the second season of Big O? So you know it's weird and fucked up. Oh <laughs> so. God! Um, put a pin in that for in a bit in a little while. Ugh. Oh, oh dear. Oh, I, I like I like second season of Big O. Well, I'll get to it in a bit. I'll get to it in a bit. Um, uh, but but anyway. it's an it, it was an anime original as well. Um, oh, was it? Oh shit! I did. Yeah, I did not know the, that. The I, there is a manga, but it's one of those that you know it comes out after. It's called yeah. the Nightmare of Fabrication. I also get this, like five months after the anime began, uh, a PlayStation game came out. There's a PlayStation Serial Experiments Lane game. I mean, fucking hell. I feel like I have to like watch a Let's Play of that or something. That's what the exact even, right hardware even, aesthetic. What would you even... I mean, you're <laughs> right. It is the right like hardware aesthetic, but what would the game even be? Um... Press X to have an existential crisis? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, fuck it, yes. I know. Press um, X to become God. <laughs> press press square to ask your dad to get like a hardware <laughs> upgrade. To get your to get your room decked out in the supercomputer that makes Deep Blue look positively pathetic by comparison. Oh shit. Press but, press square to put on bare PJs. Oh god. The the final thing I'll say about Lane, and the th- this is the thing that made me realize I, I thought it was special from the get-go, is it makes also really good use of what I'm going to call room noise, or, like, just background noise. Like, there's a lot of shots in the anime of, like, telephone lines with a lot of, like, thrumming electricity pulsing down them. But not in any way where, like, it feels like... How to put this? Like, um, it's just a constant tone. Like a... And I feel like there's no more perfect understanding of like the crushing weight of like so of the internet and the way that it like opened up the collective human consciousness to everyone else than that scene of just like seeing these telephone lines carrying all this data down them with the thrumming tone of electricity going like just weight and pressure. Yeah, Lane is fucking magnificent. Uh, easily one of the best things I've seen all year. Um, got some lingering video game topics to cover. Um, I'll just uh, run through these quickly. These are all good things that I played this year. Um, three of them are new. One is old. Um, it, for the 2022 stuff, Vampire Survivors uh, kicks ass. Uh, it is just amazing and speaking of you know we talked about dark souls before things that sort of uh create their own subgenre. i feel like vampire survivors has also done that to an extent because i don't really know how to describe this game <laughs> like it is um 
uh, it looks like it, it. So it's visually sort of using a bunch of sort of off-brand Castlevania assets, um, but uh, there are no vampires in this, uh, which is funny. Um, but there are there are werewolves, bats, mummies, all the assorted uh, goblins and ghouls and creatures. Uh, but it's sort of like it's sort of like a shmup but you're not on rails like you your little man you know collects abilities over the course of the game but you don't the only thing you control is the movement of your guy you don't really the uh, every ability is almost like an idle game like it 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 uh automatically sort of goes off on a timer and there's a cooldown and then it will go off again and you just upgrade abilities. They either become faster, more powerful, wider ranging, or you get more of them and they stack and you sort of become this bullet hell unleashing monster uh, as the hordes of the night increasingly sort of fill up the entire screen. Uh, mm. But you're blasting in all directions and it's a little 2D game and it's $4 on Steam full price when it's not on sale. It's free on Game Pass right now. Um I've had so much fun with it. I've easily had, easily had more than $4 worth of fun. It is so just cool and different. And it's such a great game for me when I don't want to commit to like an Elden Ring session or something like that. Like Mm -hmm. to just sit down and play for half an hour. Like it is great for that. Uh, It's run based. And, you know, you unlock uh, permanent upgrades and new levels as you play. But you know other than that you start at zero every time build up as far as you can then you die and you're done and you start over again so <laughs> it's 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 sort of you know rogue light ish in that way um but it rules um triangle strategy rules as oh well. yeah yeah i remember you mentioned that for the nintendo switch and pc now i think um Ooh. yeah this is a game to play if you really like uh Final Fantasy Tactics or Tactics Ogre that it's uh it's sort of that style of game but via the look of something like Octopath Traveler with the HD 2D art style um and significantly more narrative. Uh, some people were put off by how much story was in the game cuz they just wanted to get back to like the fun strategic combat and it's like man What's all this character development doing in this game? <laughs> so, uh, so much cutscene, uh, and uh, but no, that the the tactical combat is like pitch perfect. Uh, it, it's incredible. It's it's so fun. Um, I love games like this. Uh, the systems are honed to perfection. Um, I have zero issue with the tactical combat. Like it is just great. Um, there's a really fun narrative element to the game as well, where, uh, between, uh, so you build, you kind of have a big army, right? Like you are a sort of a, a minor noble that is leading a rebellion, fighting a war. And you have a big constituency of people from all different walks of life, different places, and they all have these different viewpoints. And so you'll come to a point in your campaign after most major battle battles where there's between two and three different courses of action you could take. And you have to talk to everyone and find out how they feel. And 
based on what you feel you should do, you can try to convince them to come over to your side because you do things democratically. So all of your people have to vote. And so it's up to you to sway the majority to vote uh, on, on your, you know, the, the way that you want to go. Um, and they can rule against you if you <laughs> if there's more people that want to do something different than you and you don't persuade them, um, then they will vote to do the different thing and you will be as the leader outvoted. <laughs> um, and so that's I found that just fascinating and, and really fun. And if you do shit that people don't want, like if, you know, if you turn into this like warmonger and you're always attacking and you know, certain people might leave your party or certain people might join you, you know, if they're into that. So it's, it's such a cool game. I, I love its bits. Um, and then this next one is a little bit more, uh, I think it's a little bit more divisive in terms of like the critical reception Harvestella. Um, ah, yes. That game is another square. These are all square Enix game, not, not vampire survivors, but triangle strategy and Harvestella are square Enix published. Um, Harvestella was sort of marketed as a farming sim. Um, and there, there are farming sim elements to it. Uh, but there's a lot more to that game in terms of combat and especially story. I mean, there's so much story and so many side quests, um, that you, you could get lost doing the amount of side quests that there are to do. Um, and you can get into farming and, and it can be more of a farming game if you want it to be, but it doesn't have to be, you know, there are other ways to make money. Uh, there are other things to do in the game. Um, the, the dungeon crawling is fun at the point I'm at in the game. It's gotten a little bit repetitive. Um, something about like, uh, like the combat just doesn't feel good. Like the hit detection and like, like when you hit something, I don't know. Everything just feels sort of weightless. And like, I don't really feel that like sense of impact that it, the satisfying, you know, kind of feedback that you'd want from the combat to me isn't there. So at this point, it's just sort of something I'm, I'm getting through to get to the story stuff. Cause I feel yeah. like the story is quite like, it's not anything groundbreaking, but like I'm it has endeared itself to me like the cast. I feel like this is a world that I would like to protect, especially the NPCs that are not in your party. I mean, you spend a lot of time on like side quests to help these like three kids in the village uh, next to your house and you help them do all this different stuff. And you're like their big sister or big brother or big envy. Uh, you can you can be a non-binary character in that game um, canonically. Uh, and ev- yeah, and everyone will refer to you with they them pronouns as well. So that's a, that's a nice addition. Um, but I spend a lot of time helping these kids, and they'll like misunderstand each other and get in a fight because one of them's moving, and the and the other boys are mad, and they don't know how to express their feelings to the their friend that's moving, and and it's like God, like I these kids are not in my party or anything like that, but like if there's any kind of threat to them, fucking. Watch out. I will protect them all. I will save my sons. I know my, my two dumbass boys and the smart little girl. Uh, but no, I, I, there's a lot to like about the game. Um, I, I think, uh, the, I don't know if you should try it. That's the thing is like, 
I would say tried the demo because there's a free demo. But they they actually did a really good thing and took a lot of feedback from the demo to make changes to the game. So I don't know if the demo itself now reflects those changes or not. Um, Because in the demo, the day-night cycle was so fast, it was difficult to get many things done in a single day. Uh, Ah, yeah, yeah. And so that can kind of hamper your experience. But... Uh, so, so I don't know whether or not that'll be like a fair slice of the game to experience. And then, you know what I mean? So anyway, it, it's a game that I liked, uh, that I still like, and I'm, I'm going to try to get through it. I don't, it seems like it's really, really long. I did not expect it to be this long, but I think that there's something worth pursuing there in the story and characters, uh, and the, the artwork, especially the portraits, I think are, are quite lovely. Although, I mean, the game itself doesn't look any great shakes um you know the the in-game character models and stuff like that but the the artwork on the the portraits i think is is fantastic but uh, and some of the detailing on the outfits is really nice in game uh last game last game uh last game rather near replicant i played this year. oh version one point blah 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 (laughs) exactly um it's been a while since i played it uh i played it this is in a pre a pre Elden Ring world, I believe. Um, <laughs> Before there was one Elden Ring to rule them all. I know, I know. I I think it was this year. Now that I'm thinking back on it, I'm pretty sure it was this year. Maybe it was. Anyway, I should just say, Near Replicant owns. It's great, incredible music, fascinating story, fascinating characters, really fun combat great experience i'm I'm really glad they've upgraded the game and you know that it's it looks a little bit better now than it the ps3 version does and and you can play as uh brother near instead of daddy near if you want to do that um and i'm glad that now it's on modern platforms and everyone can experience uh the sort of weird and wonderful world that yoko taro has created uh, everyone can experience Emil and and all the joys therein, and Kaine, and uh, see where maybe some of the stuff that happens in Automata, like where where's the genesis of that? Where did that come from? Uh, yeah, and like in some ways the design is a little bit more like there's more friction in the game design than you would get in a modern you know triple A game. Uh, so. You know, go in knowing that <laughs> the same way with like Bayonetta one, which I also played this year. Like it's just it's weirdly sort of the edges are, are not as refined as they might have been. If yeah, it, these yeah. games were released today, um, but uh, still totally worth playing and worth seeing through near replicant is excellent. These games wouldn't even get made today. Everything's too like commercially safe at the moment. No one wants to spend any money on anything. It's a sad sign. Yeah. But yeah, I will... I I, only I will, only I, sequels to those games getting made. Yeah. Or remakes. Right. Christ. The, the fact that there is has been a remake of The Last of Us for the it's, PS5... In, isn't that insane? That is... Like... I'm just going to put it out there. I'm going to put it out there. Because there was The Last of Us on PS4. There was like a remaster for that. And you could play yes. that on PS5. Uh-huh. If you if you pay actual money for the PS5 version of The Last of Us, <laughs> if you actually pay actual money for that, 
when you could get the PS4 version. Um, you are an idiot. I'm just going to put it out there. I don't give a fuck. I think that you are actually exacerbating <clears throat> this trend of just constant remasters of stuff. I want new things. I want interesting things. I don't want AAA stuff to just be completely safe, like tried and tested remakes or the most milkto shit possible. So, yeah, d- don't fucking waste your money on that. Buy something pay, else. Pay $4 for Vampire Survivors. <laughs> That's buy, a like, weird thing. <laughs> well, well if, I mean, if, what, if it's $60, then you can buy 15 copies of Vampire Survivors and give them exactly. all to your friends. Gift there them. you go. Yes. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, the music in Vampire Survivors fucking bangs as well. Holy shit. Um, if you haven't played The Last of Us before, I guess you could you could buy the new version and play because it's a great game. Uh, Why but... not just get the PS4 version and play it on PS5? Exactly. It's exactly. Cheaper. You could do that. Uh, or you could watch the upcoming HBO TV series. Um, or not. Or you could just go, or you could just go <laughs> live in the fucking woods. I don't know. <laughs> but like, yeah, I just, there's something about that trend and that particular thing in, um, with that particular game that just really like, it's like rubbing like a blunt knife on like a nerve inside my brain because it's the <laughs> it's the most like excessive example of this or absolute safeness and like you know in a bill unwillingness to take risks that they're remaking something that just is a ground up remake too not a HD sort of coat of paint it's this totally new I thing. I hope and ha- I hope... it hasn't even been ten years yeah. I hope it does extremely poorly. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. I, I actually like The Last of Us. I don't Me think too. it's like the best thing ever. Um, funnily enough, a lot of God of War 2018 and Ragnarok's game design seems to borrow a bit from that, at least in some respects. Um, see also the classic modern tale of like a dad and his kid. You know, also, that kind of shit. you climb stuff. Yeah, pretty much. And the characters talk to each other, and it's it's nice. You can sit back and take it in. It's great. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. You're just not doing uh, anything. I, I'm i not doing anything right now. I have no enthusiasm for it. But, like, the, yeah. I just feel like that there's something extremely obnoxious about spending so much money on that. I mean, never mind the fact that there just simply aren't enough PS5s out there in the wild that people have actually bought to justify it, in my view. At least Let me see how many PS5s are, are in the wild. How many have been sold? Hmm. I'm going to bet it's not many. Um, let's see. Well, this is very dated information. Um, okay, November 1, 2022. Sony has sold over 25 million PS5s. It still expects to sell 18 million units this year. That's across the entire world, though, isn't it? Yeah, uh-huh. So that's still not all that many, in my opinion. It's hardly, a, it's hardly a strong install base. I don't even... Yeah, I don't know the number. Like, I'm so bad at knowing, you know, how many uh, did the PS4 have? How many does the Switch have? Because those well, have the, very, very strong install bases, but I don't know the numbers. Y- you need to also note that the um, the Switch and the PS4 have been out for a lot longer. Yes. So they will have, by virtue of time, they'll have more. But I mean, come on. Just take risks again. 
live, create things that are new and interesting rather than just this race towards like, how do I put this, like creative entropy where like the, I'll go even further, the heat death of creativity where everything's (laughs) just bland and average and safe and predictable. And I'm speaking to someone who, like, you know, regardless of my comments about God of War Ragnarok, before I did enjoy my time with it, but it's it has no impact on me whatsoever. I'll I will move on from it. I'll be like, oh, whatever. Whereas the fucking misshapen nonsense of like of changing Final Fantasy XIV from its 1.0 incarnation to Endwalker and the complete mess that followed from that and all the chances they took with it, that is going to stick with me. Basically, maybe. capitalism sucks. Moving on. <laughs> I mean, maybe big messes are just better and funner than things polished to a an unnecessarily gleaming sheen. Well, that's what my last girlfriend said anyway. Hey, moving on. <laughs> Seek independent games. <laughs> that's the, the, the moral of it. Uh, yeah. Anyway, anyway. Uh, it's your turn, I think. Yeah, so I'm going to talk about something fresh and interesting, even if it's old. Um, I had the absolute pleasure of watching just a few months ago Cyber City Oedo 808. Yeah. Oh my fucking god. You know, as time has gone, like I used to be of the opinion, like, oh god, the old old anime isn't all that special. Foolish. And, yeah, I was foolish. Like, uh, but of course, by conversely, that doesn't mean new anime is bad. Quite the opposite. We've had a very bumper no. season this time around, which I will be talking about in a bit. But, like, what I definitely do miss from old anime, speaking as someone who never watched it when it was originally out, of course, <laughs> but, but I miss the idea of is Cyber City Oedo, like Gunsmith Cats, which I saw last year, and I'm not going to talk about as a result, uh, it is simply a free episode OVA. That's it. It's free episodes. And each of them is a cyberpunk story about a single character, uh, a criminal working uh, under duress from the police, lest they have a coll- uh, like a neck bomb go off that kills them. And all of the individual stories are great. Um, the English dub is extremely pr- like profanity laden <laughs> in yes. a way in a way that's so crass it's actually kind of fun. Um, and I also watched the version that had the amazing incredible original score for its western release um which is just basically all 80s metal um <laughs> it's like just just look up the ost for that sometime that's, that, that was made in the west i need it, to watch that version i've only seen the uh you know the original japanese oh my god it's just like the person who did that i'm gonna actually look them up while i'm here i'm gonna go to wikipedia well, I will say the thing I will say while you're uh, I'll vamp for you here and say this is directed by Yoshiaki Kawajiri, um, yeah. a person that I wish, you know, still uh, had. He's still he's still with us. Uh, he was born in 1950, still still with us, um, directed, you know, a ton of these like weird, hyper violent, hypersexual sort of anime oavs of of yesteryear like you know ninja scroll uh bio hunter uh cyber situation goku midnight eye uh vampire hunter d bloodlust uh demon city shinjuku wicked city uh 
also Highlander, The Search for Vengeance. <laughs> Maybe that's why he hasn't found work <laughs> since the mid-aughts. <laughs> yeah. But but uh, that's like that's like the last things he did was like getting to work on like sort of co-productions from like properties in the West, like Highlander and Batman Gotham Knight. Um so anyway, he's done a lot of like cool and fun stuff that I would recommend seeking out. Yeah. So looking at Wikipedia here, uh, the British VHS release of Cyber City Oedo, which is also on Channel 4 in 1995, which blows my mind. Amazing. Amazing. That's incredible. God bless Channel 4. It's such a, like, <laughs> I, I used to, I used to, like, not care for it because it was the, like, originator of a ton of reality TV trash that still lingers odiously to this day. But it's really been a darling of creating original content. Knowing that they just put this show out on on '995 is just incredible. But the the score was composed by a chap named Rory McFarlane. Uh, so yeah, the Brit. This is a British re- dub, well, a British release with that soundtrack on it, and it's just in fucking credible. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I I thoroughly enjoyed this, and the thing is like. The format that I mentioned, three episodes, like, you're in, you had a good time with it, they're all yeah. individual stories with complete beginning and end, and that's it. It's like almost going to the cinema, I would say. In the, you know what I mean? Where you have, like, a very discreet experience with it that's like, I spent my time with it, I really enjoyed it, I'm moving on, and it didn't overstay its welcome. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a, a three-episode OAV, it's kind of anthology-ish but don't the stories it's been so long since i've seen it don't the parts sort of bleed over in terms of characters and stuff yeah absolutely there's there's a liberal use of uh piano wire as well which is always great yeah also lavishly animated and beautiful to look at yeah cyber situado fantastic absolutely loved it god that that oav whips i love it so much um hmm let's see i just wrote something down what did i write down did i write something down i didn't send shade send shade on money yes uh sent him uh uh ko-fi request uh not request (laughs) donation um so i'm gonna now give you the five best books i read this year Oh, I did a a fair bit of reading of these are fiction as well. The five best fiction books. Um, uh, So number five, a canticle for Leibowitz. Uh, This book is like it was early ish 20th century sci-fi. Maybe mid-century because it's uh, yeah, the author. I I believe uh, is a World War Two vet. And this sort of shaped some of the experiences in the novel. Um, But it really has like a classic science fiction feel. Um, It it feels like something that is like probably at this point part of like the canon of of great 20th century sci-fi works. It's sort of about uh, after a nuclear apocalypse, it's about this sort of order of monks that decide to like based on their founder who like (laughs) hilariously well you know i don't want to spoil part of the book that's a bit of a spoiler but anyway 
um, they have decided to like preserve knowledge because part of what led to the apocalypse was humanity sort of turning on the intellectual class and turning on scientists and experts. Oh, that's uh, impossible. I can't, I can't, I can't see that happening ever. I know it's totally, yeah, that'd never happen. Work of um, fiction. Totally just wild, wildly speculative, but, uh, but yeah, these group of people want to do that. And, uh, it sort of takes place in three parts, like one sort of pretty soon after the apocalypse where society is a waste. Uh, and the second one is sort of, it's we've gotten back to medieval times. And uh, the third part is a little bit beyond from that. And it's, um, it, I'll just say, has a, kind of a bleak outlook for, <laughs> for humanity. Uh, and uh and what what human beings are like but it is it is excellent um the city beautiful uh came out this year it was nominated for uh world fantasy award and that story i will say is a better banana fish than banana fish Ooh, that's high praise mm-hmm. it is an excellent excellent story um you know, written by, uh, uh, it's sort of one of those, like, how do I say this? Like, uh, uh, the author is uh, a Jewish person and it is a very Jewish book in some ways. I mean, as much as I, and I say that like it, it is informed by the Jewish perspective and talks about like Jewish history and things like that. Sort of that informs the text and, and is, part of the plot um and yeah like it is uh it's like a it's a mystery book uh murder mystery that goes some really interesting spiritual places (laughs) that, that are that are rooted in like uh jewish folklore and uh yeah it's rad it's a really great book uh and again uh and when i say better banana fish than banana fish there is sort of a kind of a gangy part to it and there are uh there is a a, an ash and ag sort of thing except in this book they actually not only kiss but fuck yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. My God. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it's incredible scenes. Uh no, the the love story in this book was was just great. It was it was awesome. Um nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. And the the main character is closeted in the beginning and is just is so that was sort of another part, another sort of and, representation. And he's piece. and he's closeted at the end, but by that I mean it's just where they end up boning. <laughs> Perhaps. Um, let's see. Number three, the three body problem. Um, a like, like Leibowitz, I think is probably enshrined at this point as a classic of science fiction, although it is much more recent. I think that's like a 2008 or 2012, something like that. Uh, part of a long series of books, but I've only read this first one. The and free body problem. Why? That's why I go through whenever I buy a pair of jeans. <laughs> right. <laughs> have you you've heard of this book though right I, i've heard of the name of it but i know nothing more of it than that so this book gosh what to say about this book 
Um, I, well, I will say the author is um, kind of gotten themselves into a little bit of hot water for things they've said about, and the, the author is uh, a Chinese person, and they've gotten themselves into a little bit of hot water uh, over what they've said about the Uyghurs uh, and kind of that stuff happening. Oh, yes, the, the the Muslim population in China, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they are, I, I think they've said some stuff that either alluded or outright was in favor of what the government is doing, um, to those people. Uh, and that's bad. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, the three body problem, uh, very excellent book. Um, extremely heady book. Like it is, uh, gosh, it is, a book about what if we sort of in the mid 20th century all the like weird radio signals we were sending out to aliens like what if one of them did take and we made contact and what if the aliens were hostile but the person that made contact with them was so disenchanted and disillusioned with humanity that they were like it's cool come on down <laughs> you know come what that makes me that ransack you know made, this planet <laughs> you know what that made me think of inexplicably it made me think of that classic saying only nixon could go to china probably in part because you mentioned the rice was chinese right. but like so, someone who has no love for that kind of thing like you know um being like basically being the, an advocate mm-hmm. yeah so it's a classical tale there, but um, I like the idea of it, certainly. Yeah, and you know, it's it involves uh, it's what did we watch that was like this? Um, gosh, maybe I I can't remember. I can't, it's it reminds me of something in that like, um, the aliens Gato? have <laughs> no, not Kato. Uh, the the it, people that are are sympathetic to this invading alien race have sort of set up this online video game called the Three Body Problem, uh, in which you're meant to through through playing it indirectly learn about the history of the alien race and kind of what led them to be looking for a new planet because uh, you know uh, they their galaxy or whatever has this physics problem that ours doesn't seem to have and. And it's just, it's really, again, it made my brain hurt in a good way thinking about these kind of problems, physical, or sorry, physics related and philosophical. Um, and yeah, just a, just a really cool book. Um, number two is Gideon the Ninth, part of the Lock Tomb series, um, which, I mean, I just found this book, it just, it charmed the pants off me, man. It is so fucking delightful and charming and hilarious like i la- this is the funniest book i've read this year uh and yet mm-hmm. i i would not be like this is a comedy um i would say that so it's sort of a science fantasy book it's basically necromancers in space uh is is how i would pitch this uh do you does what does necromancers in space make you think of chronicles of riddick you know, sure, we'll take that as a starting point. But imagine if I'm not even wrong. I'm not even... 
Vin Diesel can be funny. Imagine he's talking about family. If Vin Diesel was funny. <laughs> But no, no, no. Um, so I haven't seen. I have seen Pitch Black, but it's been ages. I have not seen the Chronicles of Riddick. So I can. I cannot affirm or deny your comparison. There, there um, are Warhammer fans out there right now. Forty K fans specifically who are screaming at me. I'm sure. <laughs> I liked Pitch Black a lot. Uh, back, back when I saw it. Um, all those films that should never have got a sequel because it was too good. Right. <laughs> I know that doesn't make any sense on the face of it, but trust me. I believe you. Um, no, uh, Gideon the Ninth. There's something very British about like all the banter in the book, and it is a book loaded with banter. Uh, and just, again, just a delightful scamp of a, of a, of a character, Gideon, and really the cat. I mean, I love everyone in the book. I all the characters are just tremendous. You know, you get you get to meet a ton of weird ass and funny and hot and and charming necromancers uh who are all kind of co- competing to be uh to have this position in the royal court. Uh and yeah, it it becomes Things go sideways, and uh, what what starts out as a kind of a what would you assume to be sort of a friendly competition becomes lethal. People die. Uh, there's a lot of uh, subversion. There's a lot of skullduggery, um, and it gets pretty poignant. And like, it, yeah, it's the kind of book where at the beginning. I was like, this is really fun and I'm enjoying it. It seems like a good romp. And by the end, I'm just like, you know, I just want to hug everyone in this book. And uh, my God, uh, the end really got me like emotionally, threw me for a loop uh, and punched me in the gut. Um, everything you read about the this series, The Locked Doom is true. It is, it is excellent. Excellent. And it's like, one of the easiest reads, like I just breezed through it. I, it was then the audiobook is tremendous. The narrator is is fantastic. Um, awesome. And the best book I read this year was The Last House on Needless Street. Um, also nominated for is a 2022 book nominated for the World Fantasy Award. Did not win. Um, so this book is like it's a straight up horror book. Uh, and it really like it it surprised me. It was constantly surprising me. I kept thinking I had it figured out and then it would take a turn and I would be like, Oh God, uh, what? (laughs) This is the state of things. (laughs) My God, the chessboard has flipped over and over and over again. And, uh, I, I want to spoil nothing in case, but, but like, man, this is really like a tense, book like i was my nerves were just like being constantly jangled uh and i I blew through it in a couple days and uh it is tremendous i'm gonna seek out more stuff by this author uh this was not her first book i'm sorry uh was it it might have been no there's a there's a few other books anyway she actually i think she put out another book since this was written this year but anyway this is the one i've read and 
I I love it, love it, love it. I recommend everybody read it. Um, it it is just it is really really something. It is powerful. It is again like shocking. It is uh, it will surprise you. Uh, the the narrators like all the narrators are just tremendous. Um, and it knows how to chill you. It knows how to make you laugh. One of the characters is a cat who loves the Bible. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we get to be intimate with their perspective. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I can't recommend it enough, man. It, it really, it's got the Stephen King quote on the front of it. Of he, it, you know, Uncle Steve gives it the big stamp of approval. So, oh, I gotta, you know, I can't, uh, I can't disagree uh with the king of horror uh totally oh i see why you did that yeah 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 yeah. so those are those are my (laughs) five faves nice i didn't read any books really this year unfortunately i never got around to any of them but i might well come back to you and ask for well at least the first one definitely the second as well because i'm going to try and get back into reading next year I have to start commuting again as part of my new job, so it's probably a good time. To oh man, yes, yes, that is that is how I get probably eighty percent of my reading done is uh, audiobook via commute. That makes sense. Cool. Right, I'll talk about some additional anime then. Let's let's move on and uh, discuss the next one. So I'm going to move on to something that's airing right now because I've actually been watching, I think, four series on the go at the same time this Ooh. season which is a lot. Um, But that's because this season is a bumper one, and I'm not even watching stuff that I really should be. I'm not, for example, watching Spy X Family Season 2. I did watch Season 1 earlier this year. I really liked it. I don't have much else to add than that. Um, It's great. Y'all can can call me and then kill me whenever she wants. (laughs) Um, It's it's cute. It's one of the cutest shows. It's it's very charming. It's... I think that's the best way I can describe it. Um... I'm also not currently watching Mob Psycho Season 3, or Mob Psycho 300, as I would call it. Uh, I should be, because I really enjoyed Mob Psycho Season 1 and Season 2. I just haven't got around to it because my schedule is currently pretty crowded. Yeah. So the four shows that I'm currently watching at the moment from this season are Chainsaw Man, Bocce the Rock, mm-hmm. the 2022 reboot of Urusei Yatsura, and Gundam Witch from Mercury. All very good choices, I hear. Yeah, that this is a like this is like a car crash of good content, like a, a, a multi car pileup of amazing things. Um, and I'm actually most surprised about what content has sifted uh, or what shows have sifted to the top in terms of like how should I put it, like general social media engagement and people talking about them. I mean, I'm again, this, yeah. there's nothing scientific about this, but. If you told me, like, at the start of this season that Bocce the Rock would be one of the most popular shows out there, when it's competing against the likes of Chainsaw Man, I'd have been like, yeah, chat, you're more like Bocce the Croc of shit, it ain't happening. (laughs) Um, But Bocce the Rock, I'll talk about that for a moment. I am really enjoying it, don't get me wrong. Um, it's another one of those like here's the lead character they have anxiety issues be careful bond. you you break Yuki's heart if you say anything too strong here I I, I like I said <laughs> I really liked it I'm not I'm not gonna lie um, it and you know they're using their passion as a bridge uh, to help them connect with other people finally um, it features a character who's basically 
me. In other words, a raging alcoholic who also might have a heart of gold. I'll leave that latter part up to other people to decide. <laughs> I think there's no debate on the raging alcoholic bit. Um, <clears throat> but I want to I want to talk briefly because I've seen a criticism out there that this show relies on like humor generated through anxiety and it's never laughing at Bocce, the you know uh, or Ghost or whatever name is like it's not it's not mocking her. But it's still generating its humor from like all of these wacky situations that she ends up in. She's got she's a sociophobe basically. She's like extremely nervous around people and generally doesn't handle like crowds or going outside well at all. And I think the complaint from what I recall was basically that yes, as framed, it is meant to be funny and all that, and yes, it is at least not mocking her. But is it going too far? Because like social anxiety is a real problem for a lot of people and is simply not saying that, I mean the thing that would solve the show would be for it to go to fucking therapy I mean how many shows would, how many shows or stories would that solution you know sort out you know what I mean yeah and yeah. I see where that that was coming from I think this was uh, Natasha um, Iljeans who would point this out actually whose, whose opinions I generally respect um, so I'm not dismissing it out of hand because I think that this is going to be very much a your mileage may vary thing. I still like the show overall, but I can't say that she's wrong to make that comment because I feel like depending on your own personal experiences, you might think that it does like trivialize social anxiety uh, and the fact that Bocce very clearly does need help in a professional sense and not just therapy through like the power of friendship and all. Like as the nice baseball as that anime is, <laughs> that I yeah. always refer to. Yeah, because as nice as that is, and don't get me wrong, it's nice to see everyone, like, you know, hanging out with her and helping her out through her stuff, and the fact that she's genuinely talented. Um, yeah, the fact of the matter is that, like, stories like this, where people might find this sort of connection um, with the lead characters, because they themselves, like, are, like, you know, so- socially anxious, like, the fact that it isn't suggesting that solution or hasn't been something that's been brought up is a bit of a shame. It reminds me kind of in a 90 degree way of one of my criticisms of MMO Junkie when we did that way back when, right. where I pointed out that there was no actual solution to um, Mori Mori Chan's problems, nor did we even learn anything about what triggered her to become a neat to begin with. Can like, I tell you something? Solu- Go on. Do you know it's been five years since that show came out? <laughs> that just doesn't that make you like just degenerate into a pile of bone and ash <laughs> if you hear if you hear a like a a faint like windy noise like the 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 rustling of leaves that's my my body turning to dust and disappearing oh. into the air jesus but my point still stands though which is that like that was a show where that you had a similar sort of thing going on in which there is an anxiety of some sort, whether it's like the kind that Bocce has, which I would say goes so far enough to be in the realm of needing actual professional help. Uh, and what's happened with Mori Mori, or Morioka, in Elmo Junkie, where I don't think it goes quite that far, but she does need proper help, and there needs to be a proper solution uh, to her situation where she no longer works. I mean, I'm not going to necessarily push for, like, you know, people, like, you know, like, standard job shit. You know what I mean, basically. 
mm-hmm. but rather like something cl- quite bad clearly happened to her and all that happens is she hooks up with a guy which doesn't solve anything and that was like my main criticism of that at the time and I wonder if I'm going to feel similarly about Bocce the Rock where we'll get to the end of it and it's been a good old time overall we've had a lot of laughs it's been quite fun um, but it hasn't taken its core problem as seriously as it should do is she a student? Yeah, she's in high school. Okay. In fact, no, she's in middle middle school. Sorry, middle school. My apologies, mm. wrong way around. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe that's sort of like a a uh, a backdoor you could use uh, if that pl- complaint was really bothering you. You know, not that of course middle schoolers can't or shouldn't be in therapy. They obviously can be and and should be if if need be, but. Not even, you know, just, not even ther- therapy necessarily, because I'm not a psychologist. Or counseling just, or something like that. Pro- yeah. Professional help. Uh-huh. But I just think like sometimes, you know, I don't know, the parents don't know there's anything wrong and the kid doesn't really know how to um, express it. Which is not to say like, this is not to let the show off the hook. Like the show, probably the responsible thing to do would be to to introduce that as a, as an element to say, Hey, you should, if that's but, it, if yeah, if that's how the show concluded, I would actually be very happy with it. Yeah. But it's like, you know, then you won't, then the story's over, I guess. <laughs> you know what I mean? They, and they, you know, I guess the part of the say, says I, who's never seen the show at all, but like, I guess it seems part of the appeal is like seeing her navigate through these situations with, uh, with all these uh, anxieties that she has and uh, and kind of inhibitions and everything that like, and, and for the viewer to be like, oh man, that's me. I get that. Like, that's so me, you know? Yeah. And if she went to therapy, uh, that would just end all of that, so. Well, I mean, you could do that at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. That, was, that would be the way I'd probably handle it. Um, but yeah, I... I feel like this is one of those things where my opinion, if you ask me of this, like if Bocce the Rock existed five years ago, to borrow from what you said before, I'd probably feel differently about it. Mm. Um, but being in a better place now personally and mentally and emotionally, which is a good thing, definitely, um, I can definitely see where Natasha's um, complaint comes from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand it. And I... Am I a bad person for still liking the show, even though I agree with the crux of a point there depending on how things play out can i can i hold these two opinions simultaneously <laughs> yes of course and, of and, course and, and you ju- can uh, can i can i juggle them like loaded hand grenades and hope they never <laughs> oh, sorry like primed hand grenades and hope they never go off in my face i i don't think natasha would begrudge anyone liking the show uh, yeah i will add, i will add though by the way i will add uh regardless of how anyone feels about the material in the show it is endlessly created there's even like some live action like stop motion sections and stuff like that. Um, there is a wonderful Dragon Ball Z reference in it where Bocce ends up getting uh, Yamchud into a crater. Always a good, good for- reference to me. Yeah. The, the, the show, like, it feels like the creators of it are putting 110% into doing interesting things with the visuals with it. Yeah, it just seems like one for the animation nerds. Yeah, uh, I've I've seen a lot of Sakya people like really into this, and I think it I think it's really fun as a result of the, all this creativity, like with its visuals and such. Where that I mean, there was one where like Bocce has an extended in a monologue about black holes and feeling like she's caught in one, and it's not presented in the melancholy way that you might think it would be. It's actually quite fun, uh, and there's a like a long like actual 
drawn explanation of what a black hole is, including things like the event horizon. It's yeah, it's great. So I think it's a really good show. I'm hesitant to call it the best show I've seen all year. Um, okay. But I am, however, um, thinking that it's probably a show that's very easy for people to like if they themselves have been even remotely in Botchy's own situation. You don't even, like, to put it this way, you never need to have played a guitar to empathize with a situation. If you have any sort of creative outlet for which you express yourself, um, maybe even just a little bit to compensate for your own self-perceived lack of social like graces or whatever you want to call it. And that's not me mm-hmm. being critical, by the way. I've certainly been there myself. Um, then you will very easily relate to this show and enjoy it. But yeah, um, uh, I've been quite... Botchy the Rock, it um, rocks, I guess. Yeah! <laughs> Lord. Um, definitely the description reminds me of Watamote from 2013, which is another show about a high school girl who's just riddled with anxiety. Uh, she does not hook up with a guy. It is definitely but, like she Bocci remains. Doesn't hook up anyone, Bocci doesn't like, hook up with anyone in it. Oh, you're sorry. You were comparing it to MMO. Sorry, I, mis- I misunderstood. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. You were uh, huh, you were talking about MMO. I thought you were talking about Bochi when you made that that comment. Right. No, I, I was. I, 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 yeah, I talked about MMO for a bit and then you said like that. She doesn't hook up with anyone, but like Bocce hasn't hooked up with anyone. So like, that's, that's what I'm saying. I thought you were All talking right. about Bocce when you said the hookup, but you were talking about MMO. Uh, and I was confused about that. Anyway. Yes, yes. Anyway. So yes, I, uh, that's, I mean, since you've never seen that, you can't compare it, but it just reminded me of that. And if, if you like shows about characters that have a lot of just neuroses, <laughs> uh, and social anxieties and our giant nerds uh watamote can be a hard watch but a a cathartic one um that's probably a little bit more like welcome to the nhk than bochi the rock um but uh so have since you're watching uh udase yatsura like what has the online discourse been about that at that show like have people that have seen the original are they happy or sad I have not um, been keeping an eye on it, to be quite honest. Um, I can only offer my own opinion on it. And I'll, I'll put just some credentials out there. The only other piece of Ursay at sort of uh, media that I've consumed prior to watching the 2020 Let me guess. Do- Let me guess. Beautiful Dreamer. Yes. There you go. Yes. It's a, so many people. <laughs> so you're you're uh, not alone, my friend, in that uh, in, in that regard. Yeah. Now, I am really enjoying it, but I'm not going to lie, it's very clear that it's aged. It hasn't aged entirely poorly, or even poorly at all, I would say, but you can tell it's a product of a different time, even though it's got the HD gloss and the weight and, like, you know, Mm. the David Pro uh, production behind it. Is the the genesis of so much anime comedy that has become ubiquitous in the decades after yeah and some of the jokes don't land for me mm-hmm. but some of them really do there was a great there was a great one about the because the premise of the show of yorosayatsu in general if you don't know is that there's this tit we'll call him a tit <laughs> named ataru. Uh, oh, ataru and and um a bunch of aliens come to earth and the head of the aliens says right my daughter is going to fight you in a game of 
tag? It's tag, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and if you manage to touch her horns, uh, you win the game of tag, and she will marry you. Um, if, however, you lose, we will conquer the earth. <laughs> now, of, this is like the first episode set up, and Ataru does eventually win after many days of getting humiliated. Um, at which point, Lum, uh, the girl in question, the daughter, falls head over heels uh, in love with him, and that leads to all sorts of wacky hijinks. Like, <laughs> that... That's what I would probably use to describe the entire show. Like, I would call its genre wacky hijinks. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the premise, basically. But after that, the, the general skit you get is that there's a new hot girl every week. Um, but they have absolutely no interest in Ataru whatsoever, and he's constantly getting the shit kicks out of him by Lum. Either <laughs> when she's literally electrocuting him a lot, like, you know, she's making him ride the lightning, um, or... Otherwise, just beating him up. He's a colossal tool. But he's he's never a tool in a way where he's outright odious or toxic. Like, he's a clown. He's a fool. He's, a, he's like the court jester. He never goes so far as to being, like, misogynistic or anything like that. It's, there's a lot of... There's, a, like, a nice layer of innocence to all of this. Um, but the joke that I was going to refer to was... Um, I think Ataru's parents say, like, if Ataru loses um, and the aliens conquer the world, then he'll be a loser for the rest of his life. And I, <laughs> I laugh my ass off at that joke because the priorities are completely out of whack there. <laughs> yes. If the aliens conquer the planet, our son's a loser. Like, got bigger fucking problems <laughs> than that. <laughs> it was a great, it was a great dry one-liner. Um my initial fear was that it was going to be the same, like a lot of stuff with just Lomonotaru week on week of him being a, a moron just with her and that's it. But they do actually mix up the situations eventually to the point where they're introducing basically a new hot girl every week. And some of them are quite hot. I'm not going to lie. Um, most of them themselves are aliens, which is also amusing in its own right that suddenly after <laughs> all that's happened in the first episode... Earth has become a magnet for aliens drop, being dropped off or who are already there. Uh, there's also the introduction of Bendo, who is like the perfect honor student, and he contrasts very nicely with Ataru. So there's also a wonderful scene in episode five where Ataru and Lum are actually like kind of really sweet with each other. Mm-hmm. Just for a moment. And I thought, you know what? There's a lot of merit to this material, actually. Yes, you can tell that it's like a bit musty and a bit old and it's been taken out from the cellar and given a nice new gloss glow up and all that. Um, but I am really enjoying it. And when it's funny, it is legitimately very funny. And it never gets to the point where Ataru like, is allowed to be like, how shall I put this? Like, on top. He's always the butt of the joke and that's what keeps it working. Um, if he was ever allowed to be like, you know, Bit like if it was a more traditional harem where it's all about him gay with the hot girls and they all think he's amazing, um, then it would be insufferable. Only Lum <laughs> does that though, and that leads to a lot of humor where she's constantly chasing after him to just basically electrocute him to death because he's uh always like going after the other ladies. Yes, and in a in a, in a really stupid like um almost like nineties dubro kind of way, I would say. So, yeah, it, I'm really enjoying Urusei Yatsura. It's not flawless. It definitely has aged. But you know what? Good material is timeless. 
I think there's a reason a lot of this has stuck around. Um, why people still think fondly of the original show. Um, and I, and in part of it, I think it's just because, like, good jokes, like, you know, like that dry line about him being a loser. <laughs> it works. It just works. So yeah, uh, Urusei is quite good. I recommend the first movie also. It's a lot different than Beautiful Dreamer, but um, it's a little bit more like, uh, uh, a little bit more like the show, but with more kind of action. Um, and uh, it's very, very well animated. Uh, mm. Is Shinobu in the remake? She is, yes. Okay, okay, okay. You hadn't mentioned her, and so I was like, wait a minute, did they leave out Shinobu? Well, that, uh, well <laughs> funny you say that. It feels like with the way that this uh, show is compressed, because I, I get the impression there's a lot of material that's been left out. I would, yeah, uh, there ha- there would have to be. It's it's a really long show. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a really long manga. Um, do, do you know, do you know who worked on this show, by the way? Like the... I think we've it's talked David about... Pro. Well, no, I David mean the Pro original. Should... The original... Uh, uh, pass. Okay, so um, you know, it's uh, Rumiko Takahashi did the the manga and stuff like that, and she was uh, part of the part of the show itself. Uh, but uh, at least half of the show, or a good chunk of it, uh, was directed by Mamoru Oshii. Ah, the, the Ghost in the Shell man. <laughs> Back who when, also did who, he also did Beautiful Dreamer, didn't he? Yep, 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 yep. Um, and it's just like, wow, that man once made comedy. <laughs> I mean, it's just it, the the last just several decades that he's been working, he has not made anything that was uh, remotely amusing. Although I guess like the Pat Labro OAVs have some good jokes. Wait, what are you talking about? Angel's Egg was a fantastic It was comedy. a riot, a laugh riot. And uh, I mean, do you remember when he broke the egg and she was all upset afterwards? Oh I was my God. howling with laughter. Yeah. The major, funniest character, Makoto Kusanagi, or Matokos, rather. Uh, her, her and uh, Bato's banter, I'm telling you what. Some good knee slappers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right i'll pass the baton back to you my friend okay um uh just a couple more things for me do you want to hear my do you remember this about 2022 or do you want to hear my ranked list of stuff uh give me give me the do you give me the do you remember this okay um not very long (laughs) but uh like so I was looking this up and I was like, holy shit, I forgot these things occurred in 2022. Oh, uh, no. Do you remember Will Smith slapped Chris Rock at the Oscars yeah. on stage? I, I, I do now. It feels like it was a lifetime ago. <laughs> it was so long ago. That was like last decade. How is that that happened this year? It's like, Jesus. Yeah. The slap. Do you remember the uh, Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard trial? Oh, via well, YouTube. Di- oh, that's dying up again because Amber Heard has filed an appeal. Oh my goodness! Well, well okay. I can't wait to see what the cottage industry of YouTube uh, armchair twats are gonna do. Oh my that god! One. We have to put up with another twelve thousand Asmund Gold videos about. It. I'm not gonna put up so, with so- it. I'm not going to watch them subscribe to my patreon to to follow my completely and utterly meritless content about like two celebrities arguing in core 
where I will inexplicably just hate the woman because of the fact that she is. A oh, woman. geez. I know. I know. Not to yeah. say she's like any sort of perfect angel. Of oh, course, she's oh, not like, flawless. Certainly. Uh, but you're expecting, but even handed discourse. <laughs> you're, you're expecting even handed discourse from YouTube grifters. Yeah, I know it's, uh, and then do you remember when Crunchyroll made itself public enemy number one of, uh, of all anime fans that care about fair pay to voice actors. That's not the problem is I reckon that that uh, Venn diagram is probably very small because a lot of people who care about that um, probably weren't necessarily paying Crunchyroll anyway. Like, and all the people who are paying for it probably don't care rather. So, but no, yeah, that's when um, Kyle McCarley, who you may know as uh, Mop, and this is it's this specific reason that. Uh, he was recast because he just wanted a chat uh, between Crunchyroll and was it SAG after I think it might have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was basically a voice actor skilled of some description. Yeah. It could very well be SAG after, and Crunchyroll basically said no. And at that point, I basically said I'm not paying any more money to these fucking wankers, um, because my philosophy previously, and this is my naivety, was that if I pay legitimately for anime through Crunchyroll or whatever, the money will go to the people who are creating it, you know, and that's categorically untrue now i've now they've done that because they've clearly shown they have no interest in doing it but they will however use the money from their subscriptions to turn their head office into some sort of ridiculous theme park looking piece of shit (laughs) so that's why that's what that's why i don't pay crunchyroll anymore maybe that was maybe that was sony money you we don't know if it was the subscriptions (laughs) you know where that money would have been better spent on people yeah so fuck them. Fuck Crunchyroll. Fuck Funimation. Like, well, they're actually the same entity now, so it's moot, but you know what I mean. Um, because that's the thing, like, I don't want a pirate. I want to give money to actual people who need it. But if the company's not going to give the money to the people, then why the fuck should I bother? Seems fucking stupid. So yeah, fuck you, Crunchyroll. Um... Well, this is on your remember, list. remember. Well, this is still ongoing, so this doesn't really count as a remember. But remember when Elon Musk popped Twitter <laughs> accidentally? It seems. Uh, what a uh, what a true true shambles that this has been, and I would say it's been a delight because it's a delight when he makes an ass of himself in public, which is nearly constantly, but. It's also coming at the expense of the livelihoods of a lot of people and like is if is not their livelihood their mental health and stress and yeah it's uh, it is putting it is putting people in danger it is helping to mainstream anti-semitism and fascism and like far right ideology Oh wait are we're the, talking about uh yes we're talking about, about Musk and Swiss cuz oh oh okay okay please continue because just look at the statistics of like how hateful speeches increase on the platform. He'll claim differently, but I wouldn't trust yeah. anything that comes out of his fucking mouth. I'll put a man on Mars in ten years. He said in well, twenty ten. That the asshole. Where the fuck like, is uh, that? He, you know, not not only has he like drastically cut the number of staff who oversee moderation, but he introduced this big amnesty. Uh, it, not a bill or an order, but he just gave amnesty to like something like 62,000 accounts that have been banned over the lifetime in Twitter. And those are people who definitely violated the terms of service, but 
in the name of fucking free speech, he's letting these people back on who are. He does not believe the in most... free speech. That's a I lie. Know. I, know. I know. That is that is bollocks. He any protestations must makes towards saying that he has free spe- speech intentions at his heart is bullshit. He is, is a right winger. He associates with right wingers. He promotes the ideologies. He facil- facilitates accounts tied to far right people. If you want any more evidence of that, like of his approach to free speech, just look what happened between him and Kanye West. Because he unbanned Kanye and then rebanned him again later when he started putting like his anti-Semitism was dialed up too far. So if he is yeah. truly a believer in free speech, given he literally owns the platform and there's nothing stopping him in theory from keeping Kanye on there, even if he starts tweeting shit about blood libel and stuff. Um, I mean, he unbanned, he, he unbanned the worst of the worst. But yeah, yeah. sorry. So, so, so clearly there is a limit to what he considers as free speech. So he's so you only need to look at that to understand just the level of his bullshit and also just how fucking stupid he is. Well, the the idiot like sort of doesn't understand that like you can't sort of it, it can't be a total free for all and you also be available on app stores because of like child protection laws and you know all these legal things. It's not because fucking Apple hate free speech. Is because like, hey, we don't really think that we should be serving up this free app that is going to uh, serve up hate speech to people and put them actively in danger. Yeah. Uh, see also see also the reason see also the reason advertisers are fleeing Twitter in droves. It's not because of activists, as he claims. It's because and this is the funny thing. This is the core contradiction that the modern right can't fucking understand. Everything they claim that's happening because of social justice warriors or, you know, the left or activism or wokery. Um, I'm sorry, but that is all just capitalism by a different name. Yes, it's all corporate stuff. Yeah, advertisers will not put their stuff next to things like on a site where it freely allows anti-Semitism or transphobia, well, to some extent, transphobia or things like that, you know. Um, So it's nothing to do with activism. They just see the numbers of people who are saying we don't want to be involved in Twitter anymore because it's suddenly become a really hostile and awful place to live. You know, the capitul- what they see is the capitulation of, of like stuff like, you know, including diversity in films and media and all that. That is a capitalist thing. Yeah. They're doing it to make more money. <laughs> and yes. the, 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 the thing about that, I just find it staggering that they simply cannot accept that the values that they otherwise tout are now... Um, like you know, turning almost against them in a sense, like because it's no longer reflecting their worldview. And to which I would say, tough shit, <laughs> fuck off forever, go in the sea, don't come back. Um, not that we should be relying on capitalism to save us, of course. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I, I will say this. I have mixed feelings on it too, because like you. I find it hilarious that Musk has basically spent $44 billion of his own money and has probably handicapped all of his businesses simultaneously uh, (laughs) to the point where I suspect that something bad will happen to them in the near future. Like, they might end up having to be sold. Who knows? Um, I don't see Tesla doing well for the rest of its duration. Let's put it that way, because a lot of um, Twitter's debt is leveraged through Tesla stock. And just, like, how the fact that he's just... He he just so desperately wants to be loved by, like you said, these these right wing 
types. He's like um, he, he's he like wants in, to be in, authentically you know, loved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like a like a if there's like a group of bullies in cartoons. He's like the tiniest one that is just happens to be part of the group, and he's always chirping off and trying to make jokes and trying to ingratiate himself into the group, and they're just sort of like you know okay whatever <laughs> you know yeah he's he's just like donald trump in that he wants the thing that his money cannot buy him which is genuine universal adoration he wants to be what i've seen trump described as he wants to be a sun king like an aztec sun king <laughs> that kind of thing jesus christ but the, awesome. the facts of the matter the facts of the matter is is that both of those two men also share the common failing in that they can't be that if you want to look at someone who I think is generally universally adored, unliked, and to see what kind of person they would want to be like, Keanu Reeves. Everyone fucking loves Keanu Reeves. Everyone thinks he's awesome because he's just a genuinely nice guy. But that's anathema to them, to these people. So all of the right-wing grifters that they're courting, they don't genuinely love them. They recognize them as useful idiots to spread their ideology. Indeed. So, basically, my point is, I have enjoyed seeing Musk completely fuck himself over, and it's the only way that he has actually ever innovated in the uh, act of completely dicking himself. Um, He hasn't innovated in anything else, because as a reminder, he is not like Tony Stark in many ways, not least of which he doesn't make his own stuff. He didn't design, like, anything that he's had. He's just simply been a face that's inexplicably gotten a shit ton of money invested in him for no real reason. He didn't invent PayPal. He didn't create Tesla. I could fucking go on. Um, But as much as it is to see, as fun as it is to see him get clowned on and to see him clown himself, one, it puts the livelihoods of many, many people at risk because people are going to leave Twitter in droves if, of course... The place gets too hostile, or when I say too hostile, I mean on a per-person basis here. Do you, by you know, leave Twitter, not... do you mean like stop using the app or leave the business? As in not use Twitter anymore. Like if, you, hmm, if you're if you a small artist and there are less people on Twitter, mm-hmm. you're going to get less people coming to you. Yep. It's, it's, already, yep. it's already a fucking scrum as it is anyway. It's already a rat race. Um, and you don't want to be involved in a rat race where you're, everyone's trying to fucking insult you or outright get you killed. So there's that. And then, of course, more directly to that point, the fact that like the environment has got so much more hostile to like LG plus people. Like the moderation team is basically now just vanished into the ether. Yeah. Um, Do you know how many people are on the moderation team right now as of uh december the 6th uh 2022 for japan and the asia pacific region of the world i've i've seen this and the answer to that question is one 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 person to moderate all of twitter all the twitter being used in that area yeah Um, so let me let me offer you a hypothetical that i hope never comes to pass because there's that one person thanks to elon musk's decisions and the fact that he bought out now all the fucking tokyo prefecture people are going to come out to play (laughs) oh fuck you fuck it sorry that's an inside joke nothing against the actual tokyo prefecture oh yeah the the people who live in arkansas some shit like that (laughs) um so here's my point right if you have one person doing that let's say that person 
heaven forbid, has a horrific accident and is in hospital and cannot work. Oh my goodness. You now have days at a time where child pornography could end up on Twitter. Mods asleep. For those regions. Yeah. Not, not even asleep, the mods simply can't do it. Yeah, yeah. They, they're, no. they're, not, they're not there. Mm-hmm. So do you see like the risk that he's put the company at? The smartest man on the planet? Fuck yeah. you. Yeah. Fuck you if you think that. You are a, a brainwashed moron. With not a brain cell amongst you if you think Elon Musk is anything other than a grifter who's inexplicably given a shit ton of money. Jesus Christ. I mean, I actually went through a, a business training course earlier this year where he was brought up in a positive light and I almost went to puke. <laughs> he's a fucking grifter. A total he's an unimaginative. <laughs> he's an unimaginative, boring dullard. Um, he is also a callous, an awful individual. Um, he's not funny. He doesn't make any of his own products. He doesn't actually design anything himself. For all that people say, like, that Tony Stark and Iron Man was based off him, Tony Stark is everything that he isn't, because Tony Stark is funny. He's charming. He actually has some moral core to him, where he recognizes he fucks up and has some contrition to him, and he builds all of his own tech. I hope... The, the long end of uh, at the very end of this long journey that Twitter's going to go through under his leadership, however long that might be, that people, some people, not all of them, because it won't happen, because some people are too fucking brain dead to recognize otherwise. I hope that some people realize finally that he is exactly as he's always been in plain sight, complete and utterly useless, unremarkable. His money is not his intelligence, folks. Just because he has a lot of it doesn't make him clever. Look at fucking Trump for any evidence of that. Jesus Christ. You didn't even mention his greatest sin and perhaps the, the biggest proof of how unintelligent he is. His Elden Ring build that he posted. Holy oh, shit. Oh, Christ. Have you seen? My man has had like three or four weapons equipped at the same time. Rolling with a heavy equip load. Like, the hell are you doing? <laughs> You're playing the game very inefficiently. Mm-hmm. I'll see the fact that he's recently now being possibly investigated for animal abuse charges because of what's been happening with Neuralink. Oh, I, I haven't heard about this at all. I'm gonna ha- I'll have to investigate. Into the- you don't have to tell me on pod. Uh, I'm sure there are a lot of people that don't want to hear about about it. Yeah, let's abuse. let's. Uh, I I don't even really want to talk about Musk anymore. Let's just <laughs> okay, okay. But on a on a uh, similar downbeat note, but but less of an angry note. Um, I just wanted to speaking of remember. Um. You know, we we did twenty twenty two. Always, you know, it feels like every year now that I'm an old person, we're always losing people that were uh, kind of either in my orbit or affected my life or whose art, media, acting, or whatever that that influenced me or I thought was was notable. Um, th- those people are are leaving us all the time, and and twenty twenty two was no exception. And, yeah. You know, we lost uh, Jason David Frank from Power Rangers, who, man, yeah. as a little kid, uh, definitely a huge part of my childhood. Uh, Kevin Conroy, the the best Batman yeah. there ever will be. Um, the only, yeah, with the, well, joint best, because the other would be Adam West. But fair, totally fair. Diff- yes. Also very different Batman at that. Uh-huh. Um, if I might just backtrack and just talk about Jason David Frank for a second. Sure. Uh, my understanding is that he sadly took his own life. Um, oh, God. Yeah. Yep. So I just want to mention again to people out there, like, for God's sake, like, even 
famous people, even people who are universally liked, as I think Frank was in Power Rangers fandom, and probably just generally, like, just look out for each other. Don't be afraid to ask for help, for God's sake. Um, and don't be afraid to call en- your friends that you haven't talked to in a while to check yeah, up on we, them. We, we, we lose enough people who make the world like a brighter and better place <sighs> as it is, just from like natural attrition, like from natural causes. Um, but beyond that, like, you have every right and deserve to like live for your own reasons and to see value in your own life. So, f- yeah, for God's sake, seek that help. Like, Christ. Uh, Angela always, Lansbury. A, yeah. Uh, another another one of the, the good ones. Someone who, you know, as, as a kid, uh, definitely remember seeing her watching Murder, She Wrote with my grandmother. Um, Olivia Newton-John, great singer. Bill Russell, yes. uh, an incredibly important black athlete and just a great basketball player. Um, Vin Scully, a magical, magical baseball announcer. Someone who, like, if you just go back and hear Vin Scully's voice, you're transported. Like, uh, a great storyteller, excellent voice. Look up his story that he told on the Dan Levitard podcast about a time he accidentally said something inappropriate. And this is someone who's like, <laughs> you know, back in, in the mid to early 20th century doing announcing and, and we, you know, he passed away this year. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, the time marches on and this is inevitable and sadly, but, uh, I just want to take a moment to like honor and shout out like just a few of the, the faces and voices that, uh, that 2022 has taken away from us. Uh, and that we're like, you know, poorer without uh, those folks. And uh, but but they're what they've done, their art, their sport, their song like that endures uh, and that will still be around and that we can always revisit in the world it is, a, I think, a richer place for all that. Yeah. And I, I mean, speaking of Kevin Conroy for a moment, beyond his work as Batman, he was just a genuinely good person as well. Like he did, um, he was working in like soup kitchens in the wake of um, 9-11, for example, which is where he had mm. a quite a story he told this year, actually, in, a re- in an interview of uh, a guy who was sleeping on the streets who had seen Batman, the animated series, playing on television screens outside a, in a shop, like, you know, in the, in the display. So he'd watched that. And he asked Conroy to do his Batman voice, uh, which he did. And then someone leaned out of the window, this being in New York City nearby, and said, Batman, shut the fuck up! Or something to that effect. Which is just wonderful. But good on him for also just helping people. You know? He was a genuinely good person. And I think that, you know... I'm trying to find it here, because I remember retweeting this. It was from Everything Everywhere All at Once, a film I also watched this year, mm. which was really good. I, would, I have a lot more stuff I could talk about, but for the sake of time, I'm going to have to leave it. Uh, I have one more thing I'll mention before we wrap up. But this particular scene, Everything Everywhere All at Once, featuring uh, the actor who played Short Round in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yeah, really. He's, wow. he's fucking great in that. And the film itself is really fucking good as well. Uh, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Even if they did feature Schrodinger's butt plug. Oh, sorry, not Schrodinger's <laughs> butt plug. Ch- Chekhov's butt plug is what I was going to say. There is, there is a butt plug in it, and you're like, Will that come back later? Oh, it comes uh, back. It definitely comes back. Where the fuck is this quote anyway? I'll find it. Uh, but yeah, everything everywhere all at once is 
fucking great. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy it. I've seen a fair few films recently, actually, and all of them have been pretty great. Uh, I want to see it Sun... so bad. <laughs> yeah. After Sun was great, but it also broke my heart and made me cry. Mm. Um, uh, the Banshees of Inner Sherry was fucking fantastic. Uh, about legacies, innovation. Uh, it was, yeah, just great. Um, also got to watch Top Gun Maverick, easily best action film I've seen all year, apart from I almost said that without qualifying, apart from R.R.R. Which is probably the best film I've seen all year. Or should I Uh, say Yeah, it's such a manly film, it needs to be yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, I found the quote. So this is uh, what his character says, that is um, I can't remember the um, the name of the actor, unfortunately, it's not noticing the tweets I have here, uh, but it's the, again the chap who plays Short Round, and this is in one of the alternate universes that are in everything ever all at once. That's not a spoiler, by the way, but he said something that I'm going to remember probably for the rest of my days because I think it's even if you're not necessarily famous or notable, just doing this, I think, at the minimum, and this is entirely the point given what he says about. Um, what he would rather be doing, and also his position as like a film critic. So he's like someone who's like in the upper echelons of society. But the quote goes like this: "When I choose to see the good side of things, I'm not being naive. It is strategic and necessary. It's how I've learned to survive for everything. Mm. The only thing I do know is that we have to be kind." And it continues: "Be kind, especially when we don't know what's going on. I know you see yourself as a fighter." Well, I see myself as one too. This is how I fight. By being nice. By being kind to people. There's a, there's a follow-up after that that I remember where he says, like, in another universe, I would have loved doing taxes and laundry with you. But he's speaking to um, Michelle Yeo, who, by the way, is Times Icon of the Year. So that's good. She deserves that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that speaks to, like, that core quality of, like, hey, you know what? Regardless of how mundane our like professional lives might be, um, or of like where we feel like we haven't done anything significant, if we at least have that core quality of giving a shit about other people, then that's a fucking start. That's what we should do. And so, yeah, thinking back on Conroy there, like, yeah, he was great as Batman, but he was also a great human being. Mm-hmm. And I'll never be a great Batman, but if I can at least be a great mm-hmm. human being who cares about other people, I'll settle for that. If machines can do it, maybe we can too. <laughs> to be Terminator callback. Yeah, well yeah. done. Well done, Doc. Fan fucking tastic. I love it. Uh, ah. All right. Do you want to talk or do you want me to talk some more? Uh, I'm going to have my last point because we're going to okay. have to wrap up fairly soon. Uh, but I'm going to talk about Chainsaw Man. Seems like oh, good boy. a thing as any said on because it's like the thing everyone's talking about. And everyone has been talking about for a long time, even before this. I, I think this is one of the things where, like, just the force of, like, word of mouth made it, like, that anime adaptation was inevitable. Yeah. So. It's one of those things I can't believe is in Shonen Jump. You know what I mean? Like. A, yeah. A, it's a magazine for, like, boys comics for, like, under 10-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, especially given some of the content in it. <laughs> Wildness. <laughs> yeah. But that word of mouth I mentioned, uh, that to me also um, feels like that it could work against the show. The show specifically here, not the manga, 
of mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. Because how do you live up to that kind of old, like extremely positive, like consensus-driven reputation? Everyone loves Chainsaw Man, so is the anime going to be okay? I watched the first three episodes, and I was like, it's okay. Mm. It's all right, I guess. I don't know. I'll keep going. Uh, (laughs) And I I got to episode eight, and everything just fucking blew up. And I was like, holy shit. Um, I'm not going to spoil any of it, because you need to go into it blind. But I will say this. Chainsaw Man, um, despite its goofy premise, despite some of the stupidity that happens in it in a very, and I say that in a comedic way, I'm not being critical of it. It's a very mature work. Now, I don't mean as in like it's constantly got people fucking or anything like that. <laughs> it's like Cyber City um, Oedu, so much swearing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not like that where everyone's constantly cussing or anything like that or where, well, people's heads do explode in it, but anyway. Mm. Uh, that's beso- You know what I mean, basically. Yes. When I say mature, what I mean is that the characters feel like they're written to be their proper ages. And there's a lot of discussion about sex and, and sexuality yes. that feels like it was written by an adult for adults. Um, the scenes, for example, between um, Makima and Denji, where she talks to him about sex. like I was like, holy shit, an actual human being wrote this. Um <laughs> And then the scenes between Himeno and Denji in episode, uh, at the end of episode seven and the start of episode eight, um, are also like pretty intense, but they again have a maturity to the writing where it feels like they're not written towards a prepubescent audience or like like for idiots, basically. Not saying not prepubescent, you know what I mean by that. Um, What an ageist. There's a. But yeah, there's there's without again without spoiling too much, there is a scene after like the more holy shit, this is almost going over the line moments in episode eight's early part, where Himeno and Denji, uh for for context by Denji's the main character, he's a 16-year-old boy. Himeno is in her twenties, I think. I could be wrong on that, but she's essentially she's old enough to be like or, or has enough of an age gap between her and Denji where yeah, it's wrong. It's all wrong. Um, but she and him have a conversation. And their conversation about, like, intimacy and just generally, like, being apologetic but also being open about what happened between them, which is not really anything, by the way, uh, previously. Um, and then the discussion, like, about Denji and Makima. Um, and also things about, like, you know, her apologizing and offering him breakfast and all that. Like, the whole conversation is amazing. Because it feels like two actual human beings who've made mistakes, messy mistakes at that, talking and being open and honest with each other as people should be. I mean, I hate to stereotype, I hate to use the stereotype for that part, but so much anime when it comes to sex and sexuality um, just feels like, you know, oh, the, the lead male character fell into the girl's boobs and it's like a war crime has happened. Oh no. They have an audience they're playing to. Yes, but that's all that they see. That's why it seems like a lot of it isn't yeah. in terms oh, yeah. of that specific <laughs> situation, but more like what it's being, like the level it's being written at. Yep. So, yeah, I'm really happy with it. Uh, and then ep- the end of episode eight is just like everything exploding. Uh, holy shit, it goes completely insane. Episode nine is also much the same. Um, so, yeah, it has very much thus far lived up to its reputation. It took a little bit of time to get there, admittedly. 
the animation um, and production quality of the show is also off the fucking charts. Um, no mm. surprises. I'm, I, you know, like they got that much invested in it. But yeah, I have been thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying Chainsaw Man. Um, I'm very happy that it's lived up to its reputation because I, f- I feel like I would have been really gutted if it hadn't. But yeah, mm. phenomenal stuff. Easy recommend. Um, whether or not it's the best this season, I don't know. I'm going to wait until I've watched everything all the way through before I come to that conclusion. I mean, I haven't even talked about Witcher and Mercury, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. But yeah, uh, Chainsaw Man, that's the note I will end my discussion on the podcast today on. Uh, easy, easy recommend. Very enjoyable to go watch it. Um, if you're not interested in, you know, paying Crunchyroll and you want to legally experience the story of Chainsaw Man, the Shonen Jump app is two quid, and you could read the entire Chainsaw Man. Easily worth two quid uh, for one month. Um, so shilling for Shonen Jump, because I think it's, that's like the best deal in like this anime manga space is $2 a month for Shonen Jump. It's fucking insane, the amount of content that you get, including the entirety of Chainsaw Man. Uh, speaking of Shonen Jump, um, before I list everything, I want I did want to give a quick shout to a big part of my year, which is taken up by Dragon Ball. Um, yeah, I love Dragon Ball. Dragon Ball is important to me because Dragon Ball was there for me as a teenager when I needed it, and Dragon Ball is what got me into anime, and Dragon Ball was okay with me being too snobby for it and wanting to see real anime and then coming back to it later and being like, what the fuck was my problem? This is awesome. And, uh, <laughs> it, and it's a good time to be a fan. Cause like after being dormant for a long time, you know, Dragon Ball super came back and it's been, you know, the manga still going, still writing original stuff is really fun and interesting and different and cool. And, providing some it's it's the artist by Toriyama but Akira Toriyama is not writing the super manga so I think because of that there are some interesting wrinkles in the story in the super manga and of course we got the Dragon Ball super film superhero this year which was so much fun to go in the theaters and experience uh and Piccolo and Gohan got to show out which is not the normal case um and just getting to see it with my kids, Dragon Ball, is a lot of fun. Although I will say, yeah, we're watching Dragon Ball Z, and let me just tell you, there's some sh- some shit in that show that <laughs> is upsetting. And I'm like, what in the goddamn hell? Uh, what were they thinking? I mean, not just the character design of Mr. Popo, not just yeah, the, <laughs> not not just the sort of sexual harassment and grossness of master roshi but like the the like even goku and the the one of the last episodes we watched in the boo saga was like trying to bribe one of the these gods by saying like hey uh if you do something for me i'll let you feel up bulma basically i'll let you sexually assault Bulma. goku's just saying this the made the fucking hero of the story. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm. 
why? <laughs> why? Why is this happening? And basically, I always have to just be like to my children, like, I'm sorry. Uh, we've talked about this sort of thing before, consent and how we're sex positive and sex is good, but it needs to be between two consenting adults who love each other. And also, like, uh, fucking... <laughs> um, back in the 80s and early 90s when this was animated, it's clear to see that misogyny in Japan was just, you know, it was it was kids jokes. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was so normalized. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it, feel, it feels shocking when you tell me that, like, or remind me of that, that Android 18 was ever allowed to break the Jesus art to begin with. Yes. <laughs> well. Then again, he did deserve it because he's Vegesis, so there you He go. did deserve it. Um, yeah. That's okay, though. Um, he, you know, he ev- he eventually, he overcomes it. So. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Dragon Ball's great. It continues to overall be, you know, pro- problematic material and all, which, again, that's Dragon Ball Z. Dragon Ball Super, I found to be... <sighs> And it's been a few years since I've watched the Super TV show, but the movies and the manga, I've watched some of the movies quite recently, and uh, basically most of that stuff, if not all of it, has been has been ironed out, thankfully. Um, so there's that. <laughs> but uh, but now uh, the grand finale, my grand finale, I'm going to rank all the material we've covered. This year on the podcast. Oh boy. In a list from number 11, the bottom, all the way to the top. My favoritest thing we've covered. Uh, and this is, I think everything that we've covered has been good. So even the number 11th ranked thing is a thing that I like and I think is worth your time and you should watch it. All right. Do it. Drum roll. Here we go. Coming in, uh, the caboose uh, of this uh, train. I hope not. Come and give the caboose. That's terrible. Oh, man. (laughs) Coming in 11th, uh, bringing up the rear, uh, is (laughs) Street Fighter the movie. Hey, the Rao Julia. I I still don't think it Well. I think it's bad, but I think it's enjoyable bad. And like they, you know, they they've tried and yeah. through hell making it. Again, Brawl Julia yeah. is the fucking boss. He's a boss. I think it's fun. It's it's fun and good and fun. So mm-hmm. number 10, Howl's Moving Castle. Yeah. Um, even, you know, lower till tier Ghibli is still Ghibli. And there's there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with that movie. That's yeah. that's probably been the pod that's been the most well received this year. So we got to cover more Ghibli movies. Cle- cle- clearly, yeah, we just turn into Ghibli full time. So when are we doing Grave of the Fireflies? I'll no, we're not get back Grave to you on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Careful yeah. what you wish for is what I'm saying. Mm. Number nine is Terminator slash Terminator Two. I guess if I have to rank yeah. them, uh, I would say Terminator Two and then Terminator. Slightly, yeah. slightly above it. Um, that's. I think that. I think that's fair. That still, still holds a special place in my heart. Really, but, really cool. 
cool ass yeah. movies. I, I like them a whole bunch. They're so much fun. Made um, with people, made by people with vision who just wanted to make something that was really good, and where they weren't trying necessarily to make iconic stuff. It just happened. Like <laughs> the the thing that the thing that's been noted just to sidetrack slightly, like is that there's no iconic stuff anymore. I one I don't think that's true necessarily. Although I can't name any examples offhand, but I'm sure I could think of them given enough time. When I say iconic stuff, I mean things like, say, lightsabers or the XO one from Ghostbusters. That sort of thing, you know, where it like becomes an instantly recognizable part of pop culture. Um, but the part of the problem is that a lot of films these days are just trying to recycle existing iconic stuff rather than creating new things. And so, why I'm bringing this up is because Terminator One and Terminator Two, they were from the before times when they just created iconic stuff on their own without necessarily trying to do that. Was uh, was Pokemon the last time a true cultural icon was created? <laughs> well, Pikachu. it did once be the very best, like no one was ever was. Oh, speaking of which, something else that happened this year on the positive mm-hmm. note, Ash finally won the fucking tournament! He did it. He became the Pokemon master. Well, unless I'm mistaken, didn't he, like, I'm sure, like, the second tournament ever entered was something like the Orange Islands League, and he won that one, but I'm sure people will explain to me in laborious detail that I don't otherwise care about, that it doesn't count. But <laughs> well, anyway, I think, he, I think well, he became, like, the world number one ranked, right? Is that the idea? I'm guessing that's it. But but yeah, he actually won, and that actually got, like, that got a BBC News article about it, because it was such an immense occasion. Good job, Now, Ash. finally, he'll have that, hopefully he'll finally have that growth spurt. <laughs> yes, I know, he really needs it. Uh, the ageless child. Um, coming in above Terminator, which would be number eight on my list, will be her spike jones her yeah really really excellent movie about technology communication modern isolation you know, love. I, you know I, when i brought up serial experiments lane before her is probably one of the few films or works of art that i've ever seen that i think works like lane or comes close to approaching what lane does in understanding the social impacts of new technology and social media like, anyone can come mm-hmm. up with the idea of an AI, but not everyone can come up with the idea of an AI that changes, like, how people interact with, like, AI and maybe even fall in love with them and what that means for, like, romance and affection and sexuality even. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Good on Spike Jones for that one. Number seven, the dead middle of this list. Stomping through. Shin Godzilla. Yeah. Big kaiju daddy. Shinji. The, the, one of the angriest films I've seen all year. And <laughs> one that gave me extra respect for Hideaki Anno because yeah. he was like he he like he was very much fuck the government in that one for their complete fuck ups in the past dealing with public safety. And you know what? Good for him for doing that and being uncompromising. He mad. He big mad. Both Anno and Godzilla. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, such a fantastic spectacle of a movie. Um, number six, Wolf Children. Yeah. Yay. Supermom. That's right. That's right. Parenthood and wolf babies turn into wolf adults and your kids are going through some shit because they're growing up, but you love them anyway. And Um, you can't ever let them listen to Duran Duran. No, exactly. Um, that's probably the most surprise I've been about like a podcast sort of not 
hitting the heights I expected it to um, would be yeah. with, with Wolf Children. Like, uh, I I really was like, okay, we're going to do this Melmore hosted a movie. Not that I like select movies just to, to do podcasts that will do well. I mean, we're a small show, but um, I was thinking, hey, this movie I really like. You know, it will probably be listened to by a lot of people this show because a lot of people tend to like memorable soda movies. Uh, and I guess maybe this one's too old, but hey, I mean, Howells is fucking almost 20 years old, so I don't know. Who can say? Maybe I was sober on that one. Who knows? <laughs> the algorithm. Uh, but yeah, Love Wolf Children. Really enjoyed doing that show. I read a lot for that and watched all of the member hosted a movies. So it was an re- enriching experience for me, regardless. Um, mm-hmm. Number five, we're into the top five. So all these are particularly excellent uh, on a list of very good things. Princess Tutu. Yeah. Fucking love Princess Tutu. Uh, so good. Ahiru, Fakir. The, what's the man's name? Uh, the prince. Uh the prince. Oh, Muto Mytho? I don't know. Muto Mytho. Yeah. However you pronounce it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, don't forget the big bad Drosselmeyer. And don't Mr. Be a Drosselmeyer, Mr. Cat. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Weirdo. Uh, what what a what a what a great magical girl show from the early two thousands, especially one that like had things to say about like stories, narratives, fate, destiny, agency, and also just a loss of goofiness involving ducks. I mean, yes, it is. It's so fun and yeah, very thoughtful and thought provoking piece of entertainment. Um, number four, my favorite John Woo movie, The Killer. Yeah, fucking great film. Made made a lot of the action just feel effortless. <laughs> yes, and like, sort of. What's the What's the 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 subgenre film? I can't remember now. It's like Honored Bloodshed. It's like bro- uh, yeah, Brotherhood. Uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Two dudes, one one cop, one hitman. <laughs> okay. Fighting for their lives in a in a church. Yeah. Underneath flying doves. And like just incredible gunplay. So goddamn good. <laughs> the ending as well. It's just bananas. <laughs> God. Um, number three, unless you have more to say about the killer. Number three, nah, is that timeless war between the Federation and Zeon, mobile suit Gundam. Yeah, it's been a good year for Gundam. It I has. mean, I, I've watched, I've watched Iron Blooded Orphans, I've watched Witch from Mercury, I've watched um, the free compilation films, and I've enjoyed them all. When Gundam is good, it's really fucking good. And the original is certainly up there. A lot of the time, Gundam is good. There's just so much of it that that means some of the time, not not an insignificant amount of time, it's not good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we saw the the origin of Shah Aznable and Amuro and the One Year War, and it was great. Such fun. Those are those are cool films. Number two, there's only two left. Number two. The highest ranking piece of animation on this list, Trigun. Yeah. I fucking love Trigun. And watching it again for this podcast cemented that in my yeah. brain and heart. 
and we've got a uh, new show coming out uh, next yes. year, Trigun Stampede, yes. which is which it's being made by Studio Orange, who did Land of the Lustrous uh, and um, Beastars, and they're a great studio. Where the fuck is Millie Thompson? <laughs> she wasn't in the trailer. Maybe they need her later. No. Maybe they've they've recast they, her they, somehow. The, well, she seems to be replaced by some dude. <laughs> I have no like. If you look at like just the poster for it, you've got Bash, Wolfwood, Merrill, and Dude. <laughs> is his name going to be Mickey Thompson or some shit? Like oh, that? oh. Well, doesn't she have a brother? What if it is? Or, or, or does she have a bunch of brothers? Right. She has, she has like a massive extended family. Yes. Yes. Oh my god. Um I yeah, I'm I'm looking at the poster. This is oh, this can't be. This this can't be. No. No. Surely they've not replaced Millie with with that person. Also, I don't know. How, does Wolfwood look too young to you? I feel like there's something grizzled about Wolfwood that's now been sort of shined over, at least in the I've shots said, that I've seen. Um, I didn't notice that myself, but I, I'm going to bet you it's probably because he doesn't smoke in the new version. He has no, no scruffy beard. Um, well, so I'm looking at I'm looking at a, another a different shot. Maybe it's not so bad. He does look a little disheveled. He does have a lollipop in his mouth and not a cigarette, which is a very boring editorial decision. Look, it's a nicotine replacement lollipop. It's fucking dumb. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> make, him, make him smoke. Jesus. I mean, what are you? Are you suddenly woke, Japan? I thought you were the, <laughs> I was, the haven I was, of I fucking, uh, you know, free speech, righty, transgressive types. I was waiting for you to say that. <laughs> oh, you've been infiltrated by SJWs. Oh my gosh! Um, but yeah, I am. I am still. I still think Trigon really holds up. I think, like, yep. I say that it was better on my second viewing, having watched it first time round in 2013. I can't um, believe that's only the second time you've seen it. But I mean, I'm. I've. Yeah, I'm a strange person who's seen it a bazillion times. So, but yeah, still, still holds up. I'm excited for Stampede. I'm going to give it a fair shake. Um, totally. I don't I don't mind it having differences. I don't either. Between that and the original, original material. But the thing is, like, as I said on the pod, Meryl and Millie have such great chemistry with each other and also serve such specific purposes as far as, like, providing moral support to Vash, moral advice, uh, the audience standing perspectives of serious versus comedic. That whoever this new twerp is, like, <laughs> he just can't replace her. She's timeless. She's lovely. Yeah, Millie. God damn it, Millie owns. I, I hope that she's not been. Uh, maybe she'll be sort of a, a character in one of the towns and not an insurance agent. But yeah, I'm like you. Like, maybe it's they'll... so funny. We both were like, yeah, we don't have problem with them changing things. But let me complain about this thing that they changed. <laughs> Look, there's there's some things that are too far. Uh, but hey, maybe they'll get Meryl. To, they'll give Meryl things to do this time around. That could be pleasant. I'm up for that. That'd be nice. I'm very up for that. Yeah, very looking forward to that. That'll be. Do we? Is that January? When is that? January. Oh my god! So soon. That's Fire Emblem and Trigun. It's just the, the that month is just serving me up prime 
dark core content. Um, it's very exciting. <laughs> right. Pr- prime rip for you. Indeed. Uh, my birthday month, no less. Um, um, I don't know what your number one is, because it's not on the list as of yet, but I, we did cover it earlier this year. It's your favorite movie of all time, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Uh, my favorite movie, my current favorite film, Burning from 2018. Yeah. The South you, Korean you know, masterpiece. Yeah. You you know, your list of the list of stuff we've done this year that you've just recapped, it has all been really good. We've done this from the silly to the serious, the strange to the stupid, um, and everything in between to the brilliant to the merely okay. Um, but it has been a good run of podcasts this year and a lot of good material covered that's got a, like a nice wide gamut. So yeah, it's been quite the journey. I've really enjoyed it. I was thinking, where am I going to put drifters on this list? And then I realized we actually covered that in 2021. So I didn't have to do anything else the dishonor of putting drifters at number one ahead of everything else. <laughs> oh, well, maybe this year we'll end on a high note. <laughs> but no, burning. I mean, burning, burning is incredible. Everyone should watch burning that doesn't mind a film that is not high octane fast pace it's it's a amazing slow burn of a story very literary lots of lots of depth lots of layers to it lots of ways to interpret it delightful ambiguity uh brilliant performances from all three of the principals um can be chilling at times uh can be extremely funny always really interesting uh just just a true gem of a movie uh that i think yeah everyone everyone should see it i mean the the next year you know parasite broke through um over here to sort of say hey american cinema goers like korean films they're really good and you should check them out and thank god it did because you know without kind of that breakthrough i wouldn't have probably gone back to seek out a lot of the things i've seen uh, but, but let me tell you, like, I think, you know, if you've seen Parasite and like, it, I mean, I think burning is, uh, is every bit the equal to it in terms of its quality as a film. A hundred percent. I can, I, I could not agree more. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily my favorite thing that I saw of the stuff you've listed there, but it's was still a remarkable film to watch. Um, and one that I, I, I was like chewing over in my mind for a while afterwards reading into it um one that i think like you would get like a lot of meaningful conversations and discussions out with your friends just on passing it and making like meaning from it yeah a very much a film lover's film definitely that absolutely (sighs) so i think that about does it i think that wraps up our our list of topics yeah I mean, I've seen some other stuff this year uh, that I could go into, but for the sake of time, I won't. I've covered the major stuff. Um, but it's been a good year for media. There's been a lot of good films, a lot of good anime out. Like, the usual refrain that you hear from people of like, oh, uh, nothing's ever any- good anymore. That's a lie. You just have to dig a little deeper for it, perhaps, maybe. If you put, if more stuff is being made and the same amount of stuff, you know, that's good percentage-wise remains, and obviously it's going to be hard to find it in the noise of like, all the content that's out there. And certainly some of the other anime seasons this year, probably most of them actually have been pretty fallow. But mm. nonetheless, yeah, it's been a pretty good year for media, both in terms of what we've covered that wasn't released this year and what has been. Um, 
I'm looking forward to what's to come in 2023. I um, will of co- sorry. I, I should oh, try yeah. to watch more anime this year. Um, I didn't really talk about anime. You know, I talked about the Dragon Ball movie that came out, uh, which it, you know is a great piece of anime. I guess like I had, I mean, this is going to sound blasphemous considering the amount of great anime you've already talked about that I haven't seen a lick of. But like, I think Vampire in the Garden might be my favorite thing I've seen this year. <laughs> and it, but it's really good. It's it's, I mean, for what it's trying to be, like it's this really great like five episode action horror thing that pushes all the right buttons and it it does the things that it needs to do and it's exciting and there's some good drama and it's very sort of like because i don't want to say it's like a mm, how do i say this it has a very distinct sensibility to it like being a very high quality sort of b-movie vampire story that is very uh that but the storyline is actually a little bit more ambitious than something like that might make it sound but uh it was delightful. It was a really good time. Yeah. Yeah, we've covered some good stuff. And we're going to be covering more good stuff in the year to come. Um, That's right. Our next podcast in January will be Cyberpunk Edge Runners. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's back to me for my two picks, which I don't have selected. So stay tuned on the Discord or on the next pod when we talk about Cyberpunk Edge Runners. Uh, to to hear that. Of course, if you want to be part of our Discord, just head on over to co-fi.com slash show. Uh, the name of the podcast, ko-fi.com slash show, And a donation of any size will get you a ticket to our Discord. And come hang Do out. It. Be part of our, our fun little Discord community. We have... Chat like, shit with me. Yeah, we have like some cool people who you know, talk about all kinds of fun stuff, anime and games and sports, uh, all, all kinds of neat, uh, uh, nerderies that you can nerd out on with other nerds who are chill, uh, and fun. So, uh, yeah. Um, Shadon, it has been a pleasure. Uh, thank you for, indeed. thank you, my friend. Yeah. Thanks for running down the year with me. How can people get a hold of you if they want to, uh, talk with you? You can find me on Twitter at Shaden1010. Yeah, just come and get a hold of me. And uh, for you, the listener at home, whether you've just joined us for the very first time or you've been with us in the beginning or somewhere in between, I hope you've enjoyed this year's podcast. Thank you very much for listening to us and spending your time with us. Um, And I hope that you have a fantastic Christmas or holiday season and a happy new year to boot. Um, I know I've said that, I think I've said this on the year reviews that we've done basically ever since the pandemic happened or like even back in like 2019 things are shit right now in so many ways it's not even fucking funny um but i i mean that quote i mentioned before from everything everywhere all at once um i'm gonna stick to truth to it i hope that you do too uh, and I hope that you remain optimistic for things to get better. Whether things are already good for you, they can still get better. Or if, if things are in a bad place, I do genuinely hope that things do improve in the year to come. But yeah, uh, stay safe, stay warm, uh, to stay you know happy and healthy as best you can. Um, have a great time over the coming weeks for the holiday season. And um, we'll be back in uh, 2023. 
And Doc, yeah, as you just lead us out. Um, yeah. I put Christmas lights on my house for the first time this year. We've never done yeah. that on the, out, on the outside as a family. We always do the tree, of course, but, you know, my kids are getting older and my daughter in particular was like expressing the sentiment of like, I'm worried that as I get older, the sort of magic of, of things like this will start to fade away. And so I wanted to do more, my wife and I both, to, to make the holiday just a little bit more memorable and special if we could. So we have Christmas lights around our house for the first time. Uh, Fuck yeah, love it. Which is exciting. Um, you can find me on Twitter at the subtle doctor. No spaces, no caps. Uh, you can tweet the show at What Are We Death Show. You can email the show, What Are We Death Show at gmail.com. Uh, get in touch, uh, get involved. You know, if you want to support the show, uh, but don't feel like donating, that's totally fine. You can always like rate and review us on the Apple Store. Um, or on Spotify, we're on YouTube sometimes, Twitch sometimes, Google Podcasts, just wherever you get your podcasts, bar or SoundCloud, you will be able to find Water We Death Show. Just Google us, and then your podcatcher of choice, you can find us. Again, rate and review, that helps us, that helps our discoverability, and we would appreciate that. For Shadon, I'm the Subtle Doctor, this has been Water We Death Show. Happy holidays once again. See you in the new year. Be safe and well. And for the last time in 2022 on these airwaves, let me say, embrace each other, everyone, to the ends of the universe. Adios, amigos. Take care. Bring back the brother, Square Enix. (laughs) 